made it to San Diego. I'm here with Damon Goodrich Hauska. Hello. We are driving out of Balboa Park and uh, we just missed this organ concert. They have a giant organ. Spreckles organ. Yeah. The, apparently they played some Halloween music. I got a tip though that there's another Halloween organ concert not too far away. So we're gonna go check it out. 22 ranks from the organ from the 1928 in here. And then they redid it in 1970, added a bunch of stuff. So, there's a long story about it. So, anyway, we, we'll come across okay. the front first. Sure. We'll so, first, I, I should uh, let you introduce yourself. Um, okay, I'm, so, I'm Dale Sorensen, okay. uh, associate of LW Blackington and Associates. This is our, our largest organ. We build organs, uh, we're organ builders. And as you can see, this is this is a monument of a project. Yeah, these are big these pipes. Are... The six foot seven pastor crawled in the lowest one when it was laying in the middle aisle. <laughs> so they're big. Yeah. So so Dale, um, since my podcast is aimed at composers, what kind of tips would you have for composers who are going to write for, for organ? For the organ, um, become familiar with the instrument, just how it's laid out, how it's played. Uh, you know, the keyboards are laid out like a piano. But that's kind of where it ends. The organ's a wind instrument. The piano's a percussion instrument. On an organ, when you play a key, it keeps playing until you release the key. You literally have to release the notes, and it's different writing that way. And as you see, the console here is four manual keyboards and the pedal keyboard. One of the things for organs are you can set up different sounds on each of the different manuals and jump back and forth between them very quickly. You can accompany on one, solo out on others, and so that's unique to the organ. Yeah. And so you want to exploit those, those possibilities, plus the wealth of color. Here we have a copper trumpet stop that speaks right straight out into the room. There's the biggest trumpet stops up on top of the expression boxes that's uh, ten times as loud as this one. Um, but you have beautiful flutes, you have string imitative stops, just a wealth of color. Yeah. And also the organ's are very much a contrapuntal instrument. It does, chord, it does straight vertical harmony too, but it also does multiple voices. You can have three different things going on, one for each hand and one for your feet. And even the old Sebastian Bach wrote trio sonatas that exploited that. So yeah. you can have three different sounds, three different voices, all going simultaneously, where the harmony will line up vertically, but there's individual lines. Yeah. So I'm, we met you at the at other the, organ, the Spreckles organ, the Spreckles yes. organ, yeah. and Belmore Park. That one had like drum, oh, drums and like percussion and yeah, all that. Yeah, that's not a church organ. It's not a theater organ. It's a concert organ. And there's oh. a difference. That one was designed, uh, was very much in vogue at the turn of the century. Well, 1915, it's perfect for it. San Diego couldn't afford a symphony. It was a small town. And fortunately, we had John D. and Adolph Spreckles with plenty of money. And they loved music. John D. Spreckles had an organ in his house at Coronado. He actually located here because he survived the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco and had was able to hire geologists using what knowledge they had at the time to find someplace more seismically stable and settled on Coronado and it's proved to be good. <laughs> so that's how, I, how San Diego got him. And uh, he was really Mr. San Diego. He owned a streetcar company, the water company, land development, um, besides his inherited sugar wealth from his dad, Paul Spreckles in Hawaii. 
And he was so grateful for what San Diego had done for him that this was his gift to the city because he wanted the great music of the masters to be able for the public to hear it by only paying one organist. So that organ is designed as a, a symphonic organ. It's a symphonically imitative, more so than like this is, a, this is really a church organ with beautiful principal choruses, mixtures, and so forth. Um, that didn't have that. That you could take orchestral music and transcribe it in a quite a, a believable manner to the organ and get the great music of the composers to the masses. Because this was before radio, before phonographs, before TV, before podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> before so, MIDI keyboards. Y- yeah, <laughs> before all of that. And up until about 1930, the pipe organ was the cutting-edge technology. So every big major World's Fair had an organ. They had it at the Crystal Palace in London, uh, the big Trocadero in Paris. Uh, the St. Louis Exposition in 1904 had a great big pipe organ built here in California. Mary Harris did that. And after it was over, they dismantled it, and that became the nucleus for now the world's largest playing organ, the John Wanamaker organ in Macy's in Philadelphia. But that was the kind of cutting edge thing. And so here, too, the the, the Spreckles organ was like the big thing at the 1915 Panama, California Exposition. Cool. And then 1930 started, you know, other technologies started taking over, but the, the pipe organ puts everything together that man could offer. You have design, you have craftsmanship of wood, metal, uh, voicing, you know, sound, tuning, mechanical controls, then electricity came into the organ. It just put everything together. Plus you had to have a, a top-notch musician to make all this mechanical stuff work and make music. Yeah. And so that's one reason the yeah. organ was such a big deal. And, and now you're, we, you're curating it. And yeah, like, I'm taking care of the one in Belleville Park. And it, we do here and too. And this one? Yeah. Yeah. It must be like taking care of a house, but yeah, even more is. complicated, maybe. Well, like for, for this, I mean, we tell the church, it's your organ, but it's still our baby because yeah. we built it. Well, it's an honor getting to meet you, Dale. Thank uh, you. Thank yeah. you. You too. Um, so. Yeah. And uh, so the concert we're going to be hearing um, this afternoon. This, this is billed as a family concert, the family program here. So we, you'll hear that at the park, the Cottage Fugue D minor of Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, oh, this is Canon A minor, Robert Schumann. It's from his Etudes for Pedal Piano. If you did some back then, they didn't always have access to organs, so they actually put an organ pedal board on a piano with its own set of strings so you could play organ music on the piano. Maybe not oh. authentically, but at least you could practice it because the, the pedal keyboard of an organ is you know, unique to the uh. organ. Dance Macabre by Sansaw. That's a, oh, that's a real creepy one. Yeah, Ed, arranged by I Edwin Lemaire. That that's good. And the organist is? Is the, the, the church organist, Stefan Price. He's uh, fairly recent that he's come here the last year, year and a half, something like that. A uh, young guy and, and very adept. All right. So uh, enjoy. Cool. All right. Thanks, Dale. You're welcome. This afternoon, we are introducing Pipes Spooktacular. And every time you hear me say Pipes Spooktacular, your response should be, Ooh! So...
Stefan Price. Yes. Thank you so much uh, for chatting here. You're welcome. Yeah, I really enjoyed your performance. And uh, Damon and I were talking about, like, how we had kind of previously thought of drums, like, drum set as, like, the thing you have to coordinate the most limbs. Mm -hmm. But after seeing you play, it's, like, (laughs) insane. Because not only are you using your hands and feet, but it's, like, doing very intricate parts with them. Yes, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My podcast is about composing, um, so I, I was kind of curious to hear your take on like, what advice you would give to composers writing for organ. Um, going to organ concerts, talking to organists, looking at organ music, looking at composers who weren't organists that have composed successful pieces for the organ, even looking at organ transcriptions, so pieces written originally for orchestra, or piano, or other instruments that were then transcribed for the organ also are really good techniques to take ideas for as far as learning how to adapt music for the instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Like, in today's concert, I thought the dance macabre arrangement was really nice. Yeah. 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 Um, That um, arranger, Edwin H. Lemire, he's arranged several works. He's arranged several of the Wagner works, um, other famous works, because he, he lived in that time where people brought music into their home, where they were stopped going out to concerts, but they had pianos and organs where they could play their favorite pieces in their home. So he spent a lot of time arranging a lot of that music for organ then. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, the, the other one, I hadn't actually heard that Schumann piece, Canon in A minor. Uh-huh. But I really like that. that yeah. yeah. So speaking of that, that's also another transcription in a way because it was originally written for pedal piano. That was a piano that had pedals like the organ. They are not really built or too common anymore, but it actually wasn't written for the organ. And Schumann himself wasn't really an organist. So you kind of have this blueprint there. And then the organist has to make a lot of decisions as far as what to do. That was a pretty good way to kick off Halloween weekend. Yeah. That was a good concert. It was an excellent concert, absolutely. We didn't really explain, like, how we know each other now, basically through the podcast. Right. You had been listening. Yeah. I would download a bunch of your podcasts uh, and work on, listen to them, and then work on my music while I was uh, out to sea. Uh, I'm in the Navy. And um, 
and started listening to it because uh, really you were the first composer-based podcast that I recall. I think there's one now, Art of Composing, John Branningham has, but you were you were kind of the first one. Uh, so when I was initially looking to start working on my rock opera, uh, I was trying to get some insight onto how to go about doing that. Uh, found your stuff, and of course, Composer Quest. The, I'm a huge nerd, so the the callouts to the retro video games and everything was a big draw for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I've learned quite a bit listening to a lot of the interviews and stuff. I've also discovered some musicians I really, really like from your podcast as well. Yeah, it's it's cool. I, you were saying that like you found out about Dessa that way, and Dessa as well as Duct Tape. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, the, both of them. It's cool. So, what kind of advice do you have for someone writing a rock opera? So, I think focus on story first of all. Um, and, and what I mean is you, you got to make an identifiable character. If you try to make things too big, grandiose, too broad, it's not going to really appeal to anybody. But if you can make a character or two that people will identify with and make something happen to that character, then you can have all sorts of other lessons, morals, whatever whatever you want to do, whatever story you want to tell in your rock opera. But if you don't have that, that character that people really care about, then, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Well, maybe we should uh, get back on the road. And yeah, pull chalks and we'll... Uh, yeah. Right on. So my podcast listeners wouldn't have seen this, but the organist was wearing an awesome Link costume. Yeah, that's right. Legend of Zelda style. Yeah. And uh, to prove that you are a, a true nerd, you have the, the same costume, right? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, not, not on at the moment. Uh, <laughs> that would be too coincidental. But, yes, I... Uh, I have gone as Link before, although instead of instead of a bow like the organist had, I had a uh, a very large sword that was made out of mostly cardboard and tin foil. So, <laughs> so um, you know the tradition on the show of the, oh, question, the question chain. Yeah. So, I got to ask you the question. Um, okay. The last guest I had, Jordan Chin. We were kind of, like, writing a song together on this, like, idyllic hill in San Jose. So his question... How's it going? How are you? Pretty good. What are you looking for? This is my buddy Charlie. He has a podcast. He's actually from Minnesota, and uh, we heard about the organ concert. Oh, okay. How do you guys know each other? Uh, Um, D&D. Oh. Yeah. He was actually over at my house last night. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Small world, you know. <laughs> right on. Well, welcome to our church. Yeah, yeah. cool. Thanks. See you. Thanks. See you Bye. later. <laughs> Yet another example of your nerdiness, Damon. Yep, yep. yep. I don't so. even try, though. That's the... <laughs> I, just, I just do all of the cool things I always wanted to do, and people say, yeah. oh, you're a nerd, and I say... It's true. When, and, when you're growing up, when you're like... You know, when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you're like, man, when I get a job, I'm going to buy all this cool stuff, the Star Wars stuff and whatever else. And then all these people grow up and buy, I don't know, expensive cars and whatever. But <laughs> why, why bother? Just yeah, buy just all get the cool a Star, Star Wars, Wars T-shirt. That's right. Um, so, <laughs> Sorry, what was your question? We got sidetracked. So the question was, so Jordan and I were writing a song on a hill, from, and we were writing the song from scratch, and trying to figure out what to write about mm-hmm. so our song ended up being about squirrels that we saw on the hill uh, nice. very ridiculous song but 
Jordan's question to you is, if you were on a beautiful hill, what would you write about? I think something maybe having to do, especially if it's a, a pretty high hill, something to do with the horizon. Because uh, something about looking at the horizon, especially being a sailor and, and being able to go out and see you know, the disk of blue where there's nothing around you, just seeing kind of the curvature of the earth and, and the fact that it makes you feel so small uh, is huge. So sitting high up on a hill, I think looking out at the horizon, and if you're on a hill overlooking the sea, even better, S- some kind of song about you know how, how small we are and in, in the scheme of things. Cool. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what's your question for the next guest? My question for the next guest? The next guest who you have actually met through Composer Quest. That's right. Yeah. We did the uh, fortune cookie uh, challenge together, yeah. and we ended up writing a song about the USS Indianapolis, uh, a ship that was sunk, carrying the final parts for the Fat Man and Little Boy, the nukes that we used to end World War II on a secret mission. They were sunk by a U-boat. Nobody knew where they were because they were on a secret mission hmm. and changed the way the Navy does a lot of things uh, from that point. So that's kind of what the theme of the song was. What's your question for Mike? Mm. I know he doesn't really do a lot of lyrics. So I guess my question for, for you, Michael, is uh, since you tell, you tell a story through your music more so than lyrics, um, what's the story that you've always wanted to tell in, in music but have never really been able to, never quite gotten to that point where you could do it? Ooh. Yeah. That's good. I try. All right. Damon, just want to say thanks yeah. for the support through Patreon and stuff too, and nice to meet up with you in person. Yeah, man, and I think uh, I, I I don't want to give you too much credit, but uh, without your podcast, I I may not have gotten to this point with my rock opera. Uh, huh. And if if anybody wants to check it out, uh, Purgatory Falls, uh, either anotherrockopera.com, and we have a, a Facebook site also. So check Sweet. it out and let me know if you like it or if you don't, and you know. We can, yeah. we can work on it. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks. Michael Chadwick, <laughs> I'm, I'm here with you walking your dog. That is true. I am Michael. I'm with Charlie. We're walking my dog. I wouldn't have expected that I would meet you in person ever. We had like our interview um, three years ago, I guess. Has it been that long? I yeah. I, I looked oh. it up. 2013 was when I posted yours. Wow. But well. we've had some Skype chats since then because we kind of created our composer mastermind group. Thanks yes. to Tom Snively. That was kind of fun. It was you, me, Tom, and Chris Kukla. Yes. Just, like, talking about video game composing and music business stuff. What was going on in our composing lives? Yeah. 
which is cool. Like, I recommend it if you can find a group of composers to do that with. I agree. It's, it's always good to seek out other people because no one thinks alike and bounce ideas off and you never know what other people are doing and what kind of advice they might give you. Yeah. Is there anything I, that you want to do while you're in Santee, Charlie? Well, you know, <laughs> world-renowned Santee. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's what a gun show, two hotels, and and a women's, a women's prison. prison not far from here. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, I can't take you to all of them. <laughs> Choose one. Choose okay. one. Okay. Well, maybe some of the women prisoners are lonely. Just one way to find out. Well, <laughs> maybe they want to be serenaded. Yeah, maybe. You can improv a serenade for them. All right. All right. Um, once we get inside and get into true interview mode, I'm looking forward to asking you about your your music. I'm looking and forward to And especially your Composer Quest Olympics submissions. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed doing those. Yeah. Because you did all six events, right? I did all six, and I just yeah. finished voting on the last one today. Nice. Sweet. Yep. All right, well, let's just enjoy this walk. All right. And we'll have our full interview in a bit. Stay tuned. <laughs> breakfast that was that was good no problem charlie yeah we had a nice chat about new music and whether or not people should try and imitate the past or try and make new stuff well it came up because i was talking about my alma mater ucsd they're known for new music kind of modern atonal arrhythmic basically anything that isn't you know bach and beethoven so if I got anything from my musical education, it was an open mind and an ability to describe music in a much more technical fashion than just a, you know, does it have a good beat or can I dance to it, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it sounds like you just have this, like, inherent desire to just keep creating music. I've seen that after seeing, like, how many albums you've put out <laughs> and little... <laughs> Music projects everywhere. Yeah. Ever since I picked up the guitar in high school, so about 20 years ago, making music has been as much of an impulse as it has been a hobby. Basically, if I don't do something musical, you know, every once in a while, it, you know, I start to feel it. Sort of like if you don't eat for a week, you're like, oh, I should do something about that. Um, and... It's a blessing and a curse because I love that I have the interest and that I enjoy it, but it's also, excuse me, sometimes kind of a curse because you just, you can't really get away from it and it kind of, and, and also not everybody in your life has that impulse and so it kind of feels a little isolating sometimes to like, oh, I got to make music. Oh, you don't feel that too? Oh, okay, well, all right. <laughs> but yeah. it does make me prolific. Yeah. Well, and... It's cool that you've been able to keep it up, even though you have a young daughter now. Since since our last interview, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, there's 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 been a few changes since 2013. I do have a, a young daughter now, and she does take up a lot of uh, mind space and time, which is not a complaint. I mean, having a child is kind of amazing. You know, uh, parents, you don't have to explain it to them. Non-parents, maybe they understand, but, you know, it's... I didn't really understand until I had a kid, and now I get it, like, how all-encompassing it is. But it, she's also been a good inspiration. I mean, I've written several pieces of music with her in mind. Yeah, and you're, you're saying you have this whole, like video that you've edited together of her did you do uh like her first year and then second year i did yeah uh i didn't have this master plan i just like obviously when you have a kid you start taking tons of pictures and i also took videos so i took all of the clips of video and me being me i got to write the soundtrack for it so i wrote a piece of music for her and uh extended it you know because it was like a seven or eight minute video and yeah, it kind of took her from birth until her first birthday. And she just turned two a couple days ago. And I'm like, I have enough videos to make another one. So I did the exact same thing. So now there's two like eight minute videos of the first two years of her life. And so, you know, if anybody wants the Cliff's Notes on my daughter, there you go. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really fun. How does the year one score uh, compare to year two? Ooh, that's a good question. Um... So the first year score was a totally original piece, like melody, progression, everything. And it was written at the piano that's in this room we're in right now, probably with her on my lap. Because when she was really young, we did a lot of like, okay, you sit on my lap and you kind of bang the keys and we'll see what happens. And something just popped in my head while we were doing that. And then that just kind of expanded into a full piece. The second year, when she was younger, she had a play mat, like one of those things you lay a kid down on and they have like a little arch and a bunch of things hanging down like a mobile and they're like, ah, looking at it and stuff. And it played this melody just over and over and over again, like probably like a 20 second melody just on loop. And so one day I took out the guitar and I worked it out. And then I expanded it because it basically had a verse and no chorus. So I wrote a chorus, which was kind of in the same progression, and then I just expanded that out. I remember 
thinking during our last interview that like you're very focused on like concept albums and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and like you had created this score for a game that doesn't actually exist ebb mm-hmm. and flow mm-hmm. and it seems like the tradition continued because now like you have this concept album of called the northwest passage which is like a piece of music that you wrote in each city that you visited up up in washington and- washington and canada and alaska yeah and that was all on GarageBand. Yep, on all on GarageBand, iPad. iPad. Didn't use anything else. That must have been like kind of a good practice to just like get out of your normal mode. Yeah, uh, I I definitely am one of those people who enjoys the idea of a constraint, and maybe that's where the concept idea comes from. Like it's a constraint. It's like, you know, with music, it's so easy to just do everything and. You may just get so lost in the weeds that you never finish it. So, yeah, having a concept or having some kind of constraint, like, okay, what if I not only had a concept, let's write stuff for every city I visit, but let's also do it in one somewhat constraining environment, like GarageBand for iOS. Let's just see if I could do it. Let's see how hard it is. And, you know, I had a lot of downtime on that trip where I was either on a train or uh, we we took a cruise for most of that time, and um, someone had to wait in the cabin with our daughter as she napped. So to pass the time away, you know, you pop the headphones in and you work on GarageBand for a while. And so GarageBand for for iPad is actually really usable. I mean, the fact that they have touch, like they have a guitar and a bass and a violin, and, you know, you can move your, your finger over the fretboard and you can even, like, press and hold and move up to get, like, bends and stuff. Oh. Or you could do hold on one note and do sort of like a hammer-on, pull-off on a guitar... It's, really? it's amazingly expressive. So does the like style of the pieces r- relate to the cities at all? Or was it just kind of like, I'm in this spot? And this is what I happen to make. You know, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, I think the majority of it is just, okay, I'm in this city. What does it make me feel? Um, what vibe am I getting? And then I wrote something that kind of, hmm. yeah, was like associated Seattle, with that. for example. I, I like that one. It was like percussion. Yeah. And... No, I'm, I'm hearing it in my head, and, and that was one of my favorites, too. And, yeah, I mean, see, when I think of Seattle, I definitely, I mean, maybe it's a little cliche, but I think of, you know, Pike's Market and just kind of the hustle and bustle of people going through a market and there's the fish guys throwing the fish. So your other concept album that you've done since we talked, um, the Lullabies album, which is, yes. it's cool, because it's like 10 tracks, and they're each in a different key. Mm-hmm. Was that an ode to the Bach, like, well-tempered clavier, uh, like, writing in each key? or Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I would I would be lying if that hadn't run through my mind at least once. Um, you know, I... I, I 
I don't necessarily see music as like this big checklist, but I definitely like the idea of trying something that I haven't done that, you know, is kind of a well-established thing. Like, oh, I haven't written a soundtrack for a game. I should write a soundtrack for a game. Uh, not that I was thinking, like, I haven't written a soundtrack for southeastern Alaska. I should write a soundtrack for <laughs> southeastern Alaska. You uh, got a that, weird checklist. Yeah, man. you know, well, Northwestern someday. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the lullabies, you know... So having a kid is a profound, crazy, amazing, weird thing. And I'm kind of a naturally anxious person. So, you know, when something like that comes along and it's just this big, new, chaotic, weird thing that is really hard for me to parse entirely, you know, I I, I go to a well that I feel comfortable in. And, you know, writing and working on music is definitely a comfortable place to be. And so I'm like, okay, what's something I could do that is related to this? I'm like, okay, you know, kids need lullabies. Let's write some lullabies. You know, I actually looked up the real definition of what a, or a traditional lullaby is, like what time it's in. And these are not traditional lullabies by any stretch of the imagination. Um, also, lullabies tend to have lyrics. None of them have lyrics. Um, that's not really the thing I do. So, you know, it, so it was as much a, a concept that was just obviously related to the time and place that it happened, but also it was sort of therapy. You know, it was like, where can I go that will kind of ease my anxiety? And that album was a great place. And then, you know, I, I wanted some, some kind of thing that would anchor me and saying, writing something in each key yeah, that sounds like a fun thing. And it was also, you know, it was a good starting off point. It was like, okay, I'm in the key of F now. At least I know where to start. And just, you know, interesting tidbit. Uh, I believe the lullaby in G was actually written in this room with Felicity, uh, that's my daughter, uh, in like a little baby carrier sitting in front of me and my guitar in front of her <laughs> very awkwardly playing and then an iPhone like probably on a chair in front of that and then playing and recording while she slept. I don't normally write really soft, simple stuff like that. And so that was interesting. I'm like, okay, pull back play more quietly, play more simply. I forget which one it is, but there's another track on there that's like super simple, super slow, lots of space, just kind of like chord ring out. Normally, when I'm writing stuff for myself, that would, would bore me or, or just like I, my impulse would be to make it more interesting or make it more complicated. So that was a challenge to just like pull back and like, no, 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 Felicity is not going to care that this is prog rock. You know, she doesn't want Rush or Dream Theater. She wants, you know, lullaby. We should get to the Composer Quest Olympics. We should. Because, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> So people who have been listening have heard these like little snippets of what people are doing for their tracks. Mm -hmm. And since this is like the second to last episode of Composer Quest. The penultimate episode? The penultimate, yes. I I was excited to use that word. (laughs) I think it'd be cool if we could like go through each of your tracks just as a retrospective on what we've done with the, the quest. Okay. So 
the first event was to write an arrangement of a national anthem. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, when I got yours, I just started laughing out loud. <laughs> because... <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just, still deciding whether that's a good or a bad well, thing. Well, it's a good thing. Okay. Um, just because... I never expected that you would be doing a dance remix of Oh Canada. Well, I thought it was a Funny coincidence also because there's actually another composer who... The other composer yes. who picked O Canada also did a dance remix. Yeah. Daniel Bailey. But Good taste, that guy. Table tennis, which uh, I paired you up with Jared Coffin. Yes. I, I paired everyone up, and then, you know, you guys had to ping back and forth, like mm-hmm. ping pong game uh, notes one at a time. Right. That kind of thing. So how did you guys do that workflow? Did it work? Uh, <laughs> it did work. I basically searched the internet for an online kind of composing application, and one of the first ones I came across was this site called Flat.io. It's essentially like Sibelius online, and we could both be putting notes in like a Google Doc at the same time. And then he recorded the entire thing on guitar, and then I took his guitar track into Logic and kind of augmented it with the same notes just on a couple different tracks with a couple different sounds to kind of give it a more full sound. Tuba solos for uh, yes. my friend in Minnesota, Eric Ebling, yes. who recorded all these tuba solos. He did an amazing job. That was yeah. a lot of tuba solos. It was. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Too many? <laughs> or no? Uh, well, only he can say. He can say. Yeah, yeah. He probably is happy to have right. as many tuba solos. Sure. As, but yeah, so I thought with yours it was interesting too because you gave him some seemingly tough articulations to do but you nailed it i i yeah i mean i didn't that's the thing i didn't even know what was easy or hard on a tuba i've never played one i've never written for one 
I've never even seen a tuba in real life. I mean, I wasn't in an orchestra or anything like that. Oh. So that was really blind. <laughs> I was like, I was basically treating it like a bass guitar. I hope that works. <laughs> Number four event was Hurdles, and that that was really fun. Oh, my favorite. Okay. Easily my favorite one. That that was really fun because um, you don't even know this backstory to those chords yet. No, oh. I don't. Well, listeners, I didn't realize there was a big backstory. Oh, there's a there's a backstory. Oh, because okay. When I was visiting Peter Van Sicklen, who I mm-hmm. interviewed out in New England, we decided like, let's make up the chords on the spot. So that whole developing that chord progression, uh, people will get to hear on this podcast. Oh, like. Very cool. So, but that was so fun listening to all those because it's just a weird feeling. Like we came up with those chords without any conception of melodies or what the sounds will be like that people came up with. Um, So it was fun for me to listen and for you to make stuff out of, huh? I, yeah, that was easily my favorite because I started like a logic project and I put down all the chords and then the very first few chords, like, it was like I instantly heard what they should sound like, which I'm sure was not at all how you wrote them. Well, but maybe it was. The first four chords, we were like, all right, we're going to go with the most standard. (laughs) It's, it's those four chords that they use for the, the videos of like, this is every song ever. Oh, it's the four it's, chords. It's the four chords. Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> so they're obviously inspiring. So yes, obviously it's a good idea to use them once in a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason why they keep using them, but, but, but I, okay, well then that's probably the reason why they immediately like, this is it. And I, but also the thing was, I mean, have you listened to, to my, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, so it's so, kind of like a journey through tons of different. Yes, it is. Songs. It's like five different songs in one, but I tried my best to kind of glue them together in a way that made sense. But I just heard those first few chords and I'm like, these need to be played in a super upbeat, like, oh my God, this is starting. And then it just needs to drop away. I don't know why. Like sometimes, like, I don't know if it was those chords, if it was this event, if it was that day, if it was because I had a muffin that morning, who knows? choosing my main instrument and it kind of carries it throughout the whole song so here I tried to go back and forth between 
you know, like the piano and the guitar and even kind of some horns every once in a while. And then <laughs> it, it still kind of throws me even when I hear like the very last part of the song with the random like R&B vocals. But I don't know, it just, it worked for me. Every now and then you gotta try something weird. Number five challenge was the relay race, yes. uh, where we put everyone into groups. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like for you? We were getting kind of near where we really needed to start, and so I kind of took point, and I said, okay, I'm going to choose a key, I'm going to choose a tempo, and that will be sort of like the, the non-variable part of it. That's sort of like, we're all wearing the same uniform, we're all carrying the same baton, but we're all going to run differently, you know? So that's kind of the analog to the relay race. Uh, <laughs> we, we talked about it. We nice. were like thinking, okay, what about this is a relay race? Like, what makes the most sense? Um, so, and, and also I used a bit of programming even because I took tempos and keys and all of the people in our team and I threw them in kind of a random generator and whatever popped out is what we did. And so F popped out and like 104 popped out and the order of people popped out. <laughs> and so that's how the person who went first went first, and then I went second, and then third and fourth. Final challenge was composer's choice. So mm -hmm. you you got to pick whatever event you wanted and make that into music. So so you picked marathon running. I did pick marathon running. Yes. How do you approach that? Well, yet again, I used a bit of programming. One of the hardest parts about that piece was just choosing an event. There's like forty Olympic events, so I made a list of them and I put them in. A random generator I'm like okay spit me out an event I'm like does that make me think of anything does that mean no does that make me think of anything? no 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 like I tried to think of something for curling I tried to think of something for like high jump or trampoline I think I tried to think of something for like swimming or ski jumping but uh yeah so I chose marathon and as soon as I chose marathon then I just kind of heard it and then I thought okay we need some kind of like you know, people are, like, at the starting line. They're kind of milling around, and there's some kind of triumphant, like, okay, everybody, something's brewing, so we kind of have, like, the slow strings. And then bring the timpani in, you know, okay, uh-oh, it's building up, something's gonna happen, and then there's, like, a big boom with like the gunshot. Uh, 
Uh, How much was Chariots of Fire in this station? That might have been a tiny sliver, because how can you not think of that song? Uh, but I, I started I, watching that on one of my plane rides on this tour. Oh, did you? Um, and I'm glad that song happened right away so that I could stop watching that movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all you wanted to hear? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. I mean, it's pretty cheesy now, but in everything that is cheesy, there is something that was at least originally affecting. You know, there was something that, that was an earworm or just caught you, and the melody is there because it was a good melody, I think the thing is, is that once you've just heard it so much, it just becomes more cheesy in your mind. Yeah. Well, Mike, I have a question for you from my past interviewee. All right. Who you know, actually, Damon Goodrich Hoska. <sighs> yes. Yeah, because, well, one of my past Composer Quest quests was to write a song based on a fortune cookie. And so you guys had teamed up you you had both kind of said like hey is anyone in the san diego area yes and just so happened yeah i think we we met for dinner and then uh, we met up again later and uh, worked on that song yeah yeah so his question to you is he knew that you do mostly instrumental music and mm-hmm. not really any lyrics and so he's wondering what's a story that you wanted to tell maybe through your music, but you couldn't quite get there, just instrumentally. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's a heavy question there. Well, not heavy, but it, there's, like, it's making me think over, like, all music I've ever made. Yeah. Uh, or, well, maybe maybe it's more like, is there a story out there that you want to tell mm. through music? You know, uh, I, mean, I mean, I have written some music in the past that has lyrics. Like, I did a whole album several years ago. It was actually called Adversapolis, which is sort of a portmanteau of, like, adversity and the Greek ending for people, polis or something. I, I was I was in a, a, a kind of a dark mindset when I came up with that, and a lot of the music was written after and during some relationship turmoil. And when I was writing those lyrics, I mean, I feel like everything was kind of a variation on a theme of just... This, this uncertainty of relationships and commitment and, like, what I want out of them and, and the troubles that I was going through with the person I was with at the time. And so, but I don't really feel like any of them truly told that. And I don't generally write music with a specific narrative in mind that just doesn't have lyrics that I try to tell with the music. I generally just try to make music that I like and that sounds cool and fun, you know. But... If I had to choose something, it would be telling that that story in a more precise, you know, complete way. I mean, if if not specifically relationship anxiety, but just anxiety in general. You know, trying to explain anxiety to someone who doesn't have it, and when you say the things you feel out loud, it sounds maybe a little silly, like like you're just kind of being overdramatic about really minor things that people who don't have anxiety are like, what's the big deal? So, you know, if I, if I wanted to tell a story through instrumental that I can't figure out how to tell with lyrics, you know, it would be that story of what anxiety is and the ups and downs and how to deal with it and how to get over it and the general morass of wading through it on a daily basis. Hmm. What kind of things have you learned, like, for dealing with anxiety that... Other people might be able to 
use or techniques or I mean everybody kind of deals with anxiety in their in their own way obviously and you kind of learn much like you learn how to deal with any hardship just trial and error you know I mean for me especially before I was in a relationship I mean I've been married for <sighs> over six years now so it's been a while since I've really been on my own you know it was it, then I would just kind of kind of hermit I would kind of isolate you know just like the outside world is a bunch of stimuli that are just too overwhelming. I mean, I'm like an introvert that has the ability to turn on extroversion. But to my in my core, I still feel very introverted. And, and when I isolated myself, music was definitely a, a place I went to. It was a place where I could be creative. It was a place where I could feel accomplished. It was a place where I could go to just do whatever I wanted in a, a safe, supportive space. And that just never really ended. Even after I got married, and I definitely feel like I've shed a bit of my ultra introversion, you know, the world still is overwhelming sometimes. And having a kid definitely was a spike in that. And it has brought out a lot of anxiety in me that I probably knew was in there, but it just wasn't as prominent. So music continues to be like a haven, you know? And finding other people that are musicians or like music or interested, and not just people who like music, because, I mean, you know, there's, there's a different level between someone who likes music and someone who likes to make it. You know, anytime I've been able to find someone who's interested in that um, is like a boon to my musical identity or whatever. So, knowing you have a place where you can go, that you feel safe and secure and not overwhelmed, that's a key thing for dealing with anxiety for me. Like, I know that I always have music as a place I can go. And if I can share that with other people, that's even better. The downside of that is that I tend to weigh a little too heavily on what other people think mm. or whether they're interested or not. Like, that, that's unfortunately a sensitive spot for me that I realize but can't really stop. It's just kind of part of me, you know? So... I have to work on that every day of like knowing the right context and knowing that not everybody is as fervent about it as me and keeping my, my interest and excitement at a proper level so that I'm not setting myself up to fail and stuff mm. like that. But, you know, it's like one of those things where if I was on a desert island, you know, I asked you like, what, what do you want? Like, well, you know, if I just had a guitar and some food, I'd be fine for a long, long time. Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> the guitar is just something that you can use to entertain yourself forever. Yeah. Well, Mike, I need a question now for our, for my next interviewee, who is going to be Diana Deutsch, uh, who she works at UCSD, yes, where you also went, and yes, I'm very excited that you get to go talk to her again. That's yeah. awesome. Um, question for Diana Deutsch. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I never had her as a professor. I just knew she was around, and I probably read one of her papers like that was pro like in one of those big xeroxed binders full of you know things you're supposed to read in college courses i'm sure at least one of them was diana deutsch's so that's about as close as i got to her um so she does auditory illusions um the one thing i know about auditory illusions is they're they're they're, they're more about you know like an experimental side they're not necessarily about a musical side as much as like, so what I would be interested to know from her is if she had to write 
a piece of music, like a normal traditional piece of music, using only auditory illusions or music that was composed of auditory illusions, like which ones would she choose and how would she construct it? Mm, that's good. <laughs> that is good. I know she composes a little bit, but she doesn't really share it with anybody. Oh, okay, well, maybe you can but coax it maybe out. I, oh, that would be a good challenge <sighs> if, if I could Even like, get spot. her to, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, well, thanks, Mike, for letting me crash here. And no problem. Great to meet you in person, and thanks for the talk. Sure. And congrats on your Olympics. Thank you very much. Success, yeah. Let's hope I get a gold. Oh, yeah. Next episode, we'll get the <gasps> reveal. Oh, <gasps> Do you know already? I've glanced, but I haven't, like, added up things <sighs> yet, so. Oh, man. Wrapped anticipation, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Sure. Mike and I finished our interview, but we thought, let's just jam, because why not? When are we going to be in the same room next? Exactly. Any ideas, Charlie, on how you want to start this? I don't know. Um, I haven't gotten to play like a real piano over these two months, so, and normally I have one in my bedroom, so I'm kind of like just itching to play some stuff on All right. the piano, so uh, I don't know. Well, then just go for we'll it, see. and yeah. I'll pick up what I can. What's your favorite key, Charlie? Uh, mine's skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I have a favorite key. I kind of like Charlie. Charlie key. Okay, good one. Good one. E it is. That's a guitarist's favorite key. <laughs> oh, I kind of like this mute pedal. Yeah, go for it.
quite a note to end on there <laughs> well it is halloween well it, it's a good reminder that like a lot of times when you're improvising like at least i'm afraid of hitting the wrong notes mm-hmm. and once you hit a certain point of hitting so many wrong notes it almost like you can just forget about it mm-hmm. and just make something interesting I mean, uh, what's that saying, that you're only one half step away from the right note at any time or something like that? Uh, oh, that's good. Some some yeah. bluesy, jazzy rule or something. Sweet. <laughs> oh. Thanks for jamming, Mike. Sure. sitting in my car outside Diana Deutsch's house. I'm excited to go talk with Diana because interviewing her the first time was kind of like a big moment. I mean, maybe most people don't know her by name or anything, but I remember hearing her on Radio Lab and thinking, wow, this is really cool. She's like one of the few people working in music psychology and kind of the founder of it. So... I never thought I'd be going to her house to hang out with her for a little bit, Uh, but such is the way of this podcast. So uh, let's go meet Diana Deutsch. Hi. Are you coming for Diana? Yeah, I am. Okay. Okay. Thanks. You're welcome. 
Go ahead. She, she's waiting for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks. Okay. Hi. Hi, Diana. Hi. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me over. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. What we can do is, we can go to my study. Sure. Okay. Let's do it. Hi. So, oh, what are you doing nice in the Oh, that's a nice piano. Well, yeah. Getting back to practicing. I used to practice the piano a lot, and then I just stopped for a while. Um, well, you, my study is a renovated garage, and I may have told you it's a big combination of a recording oh. studio and a study. So, please this sit is, down. This is great. It's nice. So many toys in here for you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's fun meeting you face to face here because. Oh, is it on right now? It is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, well I wanted to get the. Uh... To be, it's a pleasure to be meeting you face to face at yeah. last. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember hearing you on Radio Lab. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's how I initially. They like to repeat that particular episode. Oh, yeah. For that reason. Yeah. yeah. That's fun by me. You know? yeah. yeah. I enjoyed doing it. It was a lot of It was a great interview from my perspective. Yeah. This guy, Jad Abamrad, who was the interviewer, is just really fantastic. I bet. Yeah. He got a genius grant. He did. What? Indeed, yeah, he did, that's, right. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. He's also very good in that he takes a lot of time and trouble preparing his interviewees. So before that particular interview... I think we must have talked on the phone about four or five times about wow. that very thing. And so okay. I was prepared, and so was he, and so on. And so. in polar opposite to that, I have not prepared you at all for this <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> well, it's it's more just I, I was curious to meet you in, in person since well, I'm here in California. Yeah, and, it's great to meet you. What are you doing in California? Um, so I'm going on a tour around the country and um, around parts of the world um, for the podcast. So I've been, I, I raised see. some money to do interviews yeah. around the world. And Well, great. Yeah. Where else are you going? Well, this is actually one of my last stops because I've wow. been traveling for almost two months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You say around the world, so, where, so what other countries? I, I was in Australia uh-huh. and Taiwan Wow. and Japan. Wow. So, wow. That's great. And I thought it was kind of interesting looking up your recent projects you've been working on. And, yes. Uh, you've been working a lot with Chinese speakers, Mandarin Indeed. speakers. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. Some Cantonese speakers as well. So could you explain a little bit about like what that project is? Maybe I could start a little earlier than that. Um, in the 1980s, I was doing an experiment on Vietnamese immigrants because I was interested to find out how they heard the Triton Paradox since they spoke Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would try to repeat, say, a word back to them that they had spoken. And I found to my surprise that when I tried to repeat a word, they either had no idea what I was trying to say or they... They thought I was talking nonsense or saying something entirely different. And it seemed to me that pitch might be the reason. So 
I would say a word and then I would keep repeating it at different pitches. And there would be a particular pitch at which they say, oh, yeah, this is what you mean, and, and so on. There'd be other pitches where it would be nonsense and so on. So it seemed to me that this was a case of perfect pitch or absolute pitch. That is, that they should be able to recognize the meaning of a word simply by its pitch. So we did a full experiment on this and determined that when they spoke the same word on two different days, they were remarkably close in terms of the pitches that they used. Like one third of them would be like about, say, a quarter of a semitone off, and this could be, say, with a week in between and so on. It seemed to me that this was really a case of absolute pitch. So I rather boldly entitled the paper that I gave at the Acoustical Society of America, Tone Language Speakers Possess Perfect Pitch, or something like that, (laughs) which was really bold because it was just based on that, that one experiment. And, of course, people wrote in and said, how do you know that? Because these are words, this isn't music... How do you know it has anything to do with absolute pitch for music? So the obvious next thing to do would be to see whether it's true that people who speak tone language have a higher prevalence of perfect pitch than people who don't speak a tone language. And I ran into a difficulty that lasted for about a couple of years before I was able to do this experiment. The people who I approached in the U.S. who were not tone language speakers said, well, there's no point doing this experiment because absolute pitch is so rare you won't get enough subjects. And the people in China who I approached said, there's no point doing this experiment because we all know that really good musicians all have absolute pitch anyway. So I was stuck. But finally, I managed to find two people who were willing to test subjects. And we found that indeed there was a huge, huge effect that the tone language speakers had a far higher prevalence than the non-tone language speakers, the speakers of English. Was there a recent study you did with two villages? Oh, yes, there was that as well, right. In in China? Right. It really had to do with... Well, people also hear the tritone paradox differently depending upon the language and dialect that they speak. Yeah, and the tritone paradox, for people who don't know... They should listen to your interview on this show. Yeah, they should. The previous one. They really should, yeah, yeah. because it is a very striking effect. And the most striking way to listen to it is to have a group of people and have a show of hands and play them, say, one tritone pair and ask them to raise their hands if they hear it ascending, raise their hands if they hear it descending, then go on to the next and so on. And then they can see how they are differing from each other in how they are hearing, you know, mm. the tritone yeah. um, pairs. I can't remember if I told you this, but I used <sighs> some of your research in a presentation I was giving at the Science Museum of Minnesota. and Yeah, you may have, yeah. Yeah, and I, I did that. I had the, I played your tritone pairs, and then people would say, like, if yeah. they went up or down, and then yeah. I had a map and had them put pins on the map oh, with, yeah, like, yeah, blue or red yeah. pins, yes. depending. Yeah. I'm not sure. It seemed, like, a little bit random and scattered. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, within was, Minnesota, of course, you can have different regions and dialects also. Yeah. It also depends a lot on 
where your parents grew up and the dialects that they speak. So in one study, I had a group of subjects together with their parents. Most of the subjects were children. And I chose these subjects so that the parents would come from all different places around the globe, not just the U.S., but also within the U.S. And I found that, as expected, the parents heard the tritone paradox differently from each other because, you know, they come from different places. The children, on the other hand, heard the tritone paradox in a way that was very similar indeed to the way their parents heard it, their mothers heard it, at least. Oh, okay. Yes. It was a very striking effect. So, and if you think about it, it really does make a lot of sense. If you consider that early hominids evolved in small tribes... And it would be important to know when somebody comes along whether or not they are a member of the same tribe. And one very good clue to that would be dialect. So if people who are all in the same tribe speak similar dialect and then somebody comes along and speaks a different dialect, then you have reason to suspect that they might be a stranger. So Mm -hmm. you could see how it would have an evolutionary advantage do you think there's like some of that going on subconsciously, like when we meet people, even in our own state? I do think so. Is... I really, yes, I really mm. do think so. I think, I mean, it doesn't mean that if somebody speaks quite differently, you decide you hate them. <laughs> on the other hand, it might very well be that if somebody speaks in a way that's very similar to yourself, that you feel drawn to them. I think it's entirely possible. Mm. Another thing that I've noticed is that mothers and their teenage kids, often girls, um, often sound very, very similar to each other. I remember when my daughter was a teenager and, you know, the phone rang and one of us picked up the phone. The person at the other end was quite unable to tell which one of us it was. So the study in China was like... A village that that was 40 miles away. Okay, as the crow flies, but it actually took several hours to get from one village to the other because this was in a very mountainous region and very treacherous and so on. And did you go on this I didn't go myself, but my colleagues went and they... Actually, it's also very scenic, so people often go just for... You know, vacations and not not um, for music psychology not experiments. For music psych- absolutely, <laughs> and so it was a very yeah. I think people thought it was really very odd. You know that here are these people from East University in Shanghai who came with all this equipment, microphones, recorders, and were expecting them to read out this rather banal passage. Um, It needed to be free of emotion. So it had things like, China is divided into north, south, east and west. (laughs) Okay. In the west, it is sunny. And in the east, it is rainy or something. can't remember which way around it is. And it, it, it sort of goes on like that. But anyway, they did it. And so the results turned out very striking that the people from one of the villages had... Oh, did you, did you, have you actually heard it? It's actually um, posted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the... The pitch the range village. The pitch range in one village was very different from the pitch range in the yeah. other village, right. It was almost so, more monotone in the one village. I yeah. mean, obviously there's tones, but... 
it's... Yeah, in 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 Chongqing, the pitch was quite high. China is located in the southern but in Hubei, the pitch was quite a bit lower. In fact, even lower than it is in Beijing, where it's quite low. China is the world's greatest culture. The difference is really very striking, and it was very consistent from subject to subject. I should say they were all female subjects, because obviously it doesn't make sense to have both male and female in the same analysis. Um, yeah. So it did work out that the pitch range of your speech is determined by the pitch of the speech that you hear around you. Mm. After our first interview for the blog post, I had put up this Google form, uh, yeah. like saying, if you want to try this, testing yeah. this uh, tritone experiment, enter where you grew up and... Yeah. Um, and I ended up over these three years getting three hundred responses. Yeah, it was a huge number, right? Yeah, uh, which I think is cool that people got to try it out. Yes, um, indeed. Yes. But when I sent you the data, it seemed maybe yeah, that we I, couldn't I, I actually couldn't, draw yeah. conclusions. Well, as a matter of fact, I think it was in nineteen ninety seven, BBC Five decided to play. I think it was four examples of the Tritone Paradox. People all over England. And they had to call in their results. <clears throat> it turned out that people from the south of England produced a huge replication of the results that I had published from mm. people in the south of England. But people from elsewhere, particularly the north of England, produced very different results. Mm. We would have got an even larger number of subjects, but unfortunately, just as they'd finished playing the Tritone Paradox, they were interrupted by a BBC announcement saying that there was going to be a new national election. And so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we still got a lot. We got hundreds of people anyway. Huh. And, and it was very nice to see that the data were replicated from the south of England, and that's you know, yeah. very different from California. Yeah. So, so I would say that as far as Minnesota was concerned... I mean, if the experiment could be redone, I would select the subjects, I would give them a large questionnaire in which I asked them where did their mother grow up, where did their father grow up, mm. even their grandparents on mm. both sides, stuff like that. So this experiment that I just described to you did in fact include a huge questionnaire and we only had subjects who were sort of purely from that particular town. Mm. So, and I think that that's really necessary to get good, clean data. Yeah. 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 What was it like when you were first starting out in the music psychology field? Because I remember in our yes. last interview, you were talking about how you were really passionate about music, but maybe your parents discouraged that's, that's you true. and yes. you, you went into psychology and right. instead, but... Well, then I was very lucky, really. When I first came to UCSD, I found that two people had created some software that would enable me to control computers so as to produce sequences of sound of very clearly specified frequency, that's pitch, amplitude, that's loudness, and duration. And then I had this software amended so that you could have 
two sequences at a time, not just one, which was a big deal. Of course, mm-hmm. it's no deal today at all. I mean, nowadays you can produce any sequence of tones that you can dream up, but in those days that wasn't possible. So, so that was the, kind of the first time you could get really right. scientific about testing right. those things, right? Right, and there were very few of us who who were able... In fact, I don't... I don't know of anyone else who was actually doing that. Other people would take tones and they would splice them together on... This was reel-to-reel tape. So you would take a tone and you splice it next to another tone and you splice it next to another tone. So, and, of course, that wouldn't have been very accurate and it would also have taken ages, you know, to do. But I could just, you know, type in what I wanted into the computer and the function generator, which was called a wave tag, would just simply spew out the tones. Mm-hmm. It was really lucky that I was able to do that. Wave tech, which is the name of the company that produced this uh, device, happened to be in San Diego and was oh. actually did a lot of work for the Navy, um, oh. particularly very, very high frequencies and so on. Hmm. Oh, I don't know, they're interested in the sonar or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so I was lucky because I, I had access to WaveTex and I had access to the software, and so oh. I was. So yes. I just went with it. It was just wonderful. It was just I felt like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. It was just great. That's cool. Yeah. Interesting side note that the first guy I interviewed for this episode, we we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but he's like a Navy sonar expert, oh. like one of the twelve people who works on oh. like detecting submarines interesting so yeah that, <laughs> san that's diego that's <laughs> yeah san diego that's the place right yeah, yeah. i so, don't think that they ever thought of doing it for music no. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, but it was it was lucky yeah, yeah. so yeah. we know that you wrote the book literally on music psychology oh thank you uh, but would you consider yourself like the, kind of a, the founder or one of them well, music, um, music psychology. I, well, I say, I mean, it's an embarrassing question to ask, but <laughs> I would say, I would say yes. All right. Because there was had been very little done before before my work actually. So oh. there were a few of us. There's Jay Dowling, and Al Bregman. There wasn't much. There's Dick Warren from the University of Wisconsin, working on strings of words and strings of different types of sounds and so on, but not really what I was doing. And I was also very interested in music theory. And at the time, 12-tone theory was in its heyday. Now, with a system of 12-tone composition, which is one that Arnold Schoenberg devised, you take a sequence of 12 notes... And then you keep on playing this sequence repeatedly. But the notes have to be in different octaves each time. Also, you were allowed to transpose the entire row as you felt like it. And you could play it backwards. And you could play it upside down and backwards. And that was how people composed music. And they felt that this was a new algorithm for producing music that people would surely understand. But in point of fact, they didn't. There was just no way that you can recognise a tone row which has been transformed in, its, in, in these different ways. In fact, 
it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to recognise the same toe row if you just hear it exactly as it is twice. So that's huh. 12 tones, and if there's one that's different, chances of noticing the difference, if it's a slight difference, are rather small. So, so. I sort of went after 12-tone theorists <laughs> and 12-tone music, and I made the argument that really composers really ought to consider the processing mechanisms of the listener, that they shouldn't just assume that music, as it's laid out in a printed score and you know, figured out mathematically, would necessarily be understood by the listener. So a lot of what I did, um, though I actually discovered a lot of these illusions by accident, I kind of stumbled on them, but nevertheless, I would use them to make the argument, look, there are huge individual differences in what people hear, so I argued that studying perception was a very, 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 very important for music theory. And I believe that nowadays people do feel that. Yeah. And now, you know, there's a Society for Music Perception Cognition, which I actually oh. founded. Oh. Um, cool. And so, well, it's 50 years later. Yeah. But, it, but, yeah, I think that people do agree. <laughs> and, yeah. and composers do as well. I should... I mean, this was the way composers were in the 1960s and 1970s, but I think you're going to find very few composers now who would feel that it's just fine to figure out in the abstract what notes to lay out. You really do have to listen and figure out what it is that people are hearing, and I think that that's pretty much accepted now. Yeah. What kind of advice would you have for someone who might want to get into the field of music psychology and perception studying? Um, I think that it's really important that people should not assume, as had been done by these 12-tone composers, for example, in the case of music, that they know what they're going to hear when they generate sounds because they may be hearing something entirely different, that people really should keep an open mind and expect to be surprised with what they hear. Because I'm sure that there are a lot of illusions and other quirks of perception of music that haven't been discovered yet that are just waiting to be discovered. And they do show... They're not just curiosities because they do also end up showing all kinds of things about the way we perceive music and the way we perceive sound in general. Have you ever worked as a consultant for like I don't know I, I, uh, I always think of like appliances or, or other things that make little tones yeah, and right. music well I worked as a consultant for General Motors at one point on um, they were putting out a new car and they couldn't decide what kind of sound system to use so one group of people wanted to use six different speakers, three in the back and three in the front, which would have been very expensive. Mm. And another group of people wanted to instead use some software which would essentially produce an illusory effect of a similar sort. It was called SRS system, I believe. I don't remember what the conclusion was. They asked me to do an experiment to try to decide which type of system people like best and so on, but it didn't really work out. Mm. 
They were just too emotionally involved in it. It was just, you know, it was just like very difficult to be in the middle of, you know, this argument. So yeah. <laughs> that was one thing. Another thing, I, I did a study for Bristol Myers on performance anxiety. So there's a, a drug called Buspirone or Busbar, which had just been approved by the FDA for long-term anxiety. But it hadn't been approved for what they call PRM, you know, anxiety just for, you know, certain circumstances. And they thought that music performance would be a good, what they called, model to see whether Busperone did in fact help people who were anxious in a particular situation. So they did have me do an experiment in which people swallowed a pill, it was either a placebo or it was Busperone, or it was Valium. But there were unmarked pills, and even the people who gave them the pills didn't even know what they were giving them. And they did get the subjects to perform under these different conditions. But it turned out that Busperone didn't do well. Mm. Um, the, the conditions under which people did best was actually the placebo condition, when they weren't given anything oh. at all. Under Valium, people thought... Actually, they knew what they were getting, interestingly enough. For all, for all that they weren't told, they could tell by how they were feeling what they were getting. The oh. people who were getting Valium knew that they were getting Valium and said that they thought they were doing much the best under those circumstances. <laughs> In point of fact, they did worst under Valium. Oh, so, judged by what factors, like how well, well they... Well, what, what I did was I created this rather short repeating passage which please excuse my bad singing but it went ten times okay and the question was how accurately and consistently could they play this repeating passage so it wasn't a matter of artistry it was really a matter of consistency of playing the sort of thing that you would really need if you were in an orchestra, you know, playing with a large group. Mm -hmm. And these were, in fact, violinists. So they thought that they were being most accurate under Valium. But when the data was analysed in terms of how consistent they were over the ten iterations of this passage, they were least accurate under Valium. Hmm. Um, then came Busperone and then Placebo. They were best under Placebo. But this wasn't what they had expected at all. Hmm. Um, so Bristol Myers wasn't that excited with the result because they really wanted to be able to tell the FDA that it had been shown that Busperone really worked f under those conditions, but they weren't able to, not for that. They did another study at that time on air traffic controllers. Yeah. Actually, that is a situation where people do get extremely anxious. Yeah. But they did find that Busperone did well for them, that, mm. they, that they did better under Busperone than mm. under the others. I, I want to ask you a question from my previous guest mm -hmm. uh, because I've started this question chain where each guest asks the next guest a question. Yes. Um, so Michael Chadwick was asking... If you were to compose something using any number of the illusions you've discovered, yes, which ones would you use and why? As a composition, as a real, yeah, as, as a a, a, like a whole composition. Yeah. Oh my goodness! 
I never thought of that. Uh, well, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't do anything like that. What I would do is just sit down at the computer and just mess around with, with the sounds until I was happy with what I had. I don't think that I would necessarily use any particular illusion that I published on. Huh. Yeah. Were you saying, though, that you did kind of actually discover some of the illusions based on trying some composing things? Yeah, that, that's what I mean. I mean, I, oh, was, sure. I was, yeah, I was just like messing around and found that I was hearing sound patterns which were quite different from what would be expected from the written score. So as a result, I sort of fine-tuned what it was that I was hearing until I came up with the, the illusions as they are now yeah. published and so on. Hmm. Um, there are effects that are like the tritone paradox that I don't write about very much because they're complicated to write about that I published on with Dick Moore and Mark Dolson involving two-part patterns where some people hear one set of notes is higher and another people hear the opposite set of notes is higher. And that makes me think that in music such as, for example, by Debussy, where you get like a mush of sound and it's not that clear which notes are really the higher and which notes are really the, the lower. And people don't actually ask themselves that question. They just yeah. listen to the mush of sounds. That if one were to do experiments using those excerpts from such music, such as nocturnes, say Debussy's nocturnes and so on, they might be surprised to discover that people would differ in terms of what they heard as, say, the melody as opposed to the accompaniment of sound. Yeah. I, I've just, like, in recording things, sometimes just stumble across weird, I, I don't I guess illusions, uh, where certain instruments, when I, they happen to coincide just in the perfect way, they sound, like, totally different, or, like, another instrument, or, like, guitar, maybe classical guitar and yeah. flute or something, yes. I think that... Oh, but then I, I would mean, move it by a millisecond... Yes. And it would suddenly like sound like a totally different instrument. Or... Right. I don't know. So simultaneity is incredibly important. So if you have two sounds that you play strictly simultaneously, they are going to fuse to produce a different sound. But if they begin at different points in time, then they no longer fuse, but rather you hear the two as separate. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's... Maybe what's been going Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Well, yeah, I guess I could. I mean, that's something that would be of interest. But I think quite a few other people are working on, you know, the fusion of different instruments to produce different trumpets and so mm -hmm. on. Yeah. So do you have a question for my next guest? Oh, my gosh. Um, Who is the next guest? Am I allowed um, to say? Yeah, well, the next guest is my friend Bubba from oh, yeah. college. Oh, yeah. And he lives in Phoenix, and he's a oh boy. songwriter. Oh, a songwriter. Songwriter, very, okay. like... I guess I would ask him why he thought that stuck tunes were stuck tunes, or earworms, because that's something that I'm very puzzled about, and I don't have an answer. So you know how most people get earworms. They get music 
that just goes round and round in their heads. And it's just not clear why that happens. And there isn't anything like that in vision that I can think of. And he might have some suggestions as to why this would happen. I mean, why would we have evolved to hear music in our heads over and over and over and not be able to stop them from happening? Hmm. He does write a lot of pop music and play a, a lot well, of pop Well, then he would have tunes. a lot to say that about so, that then. Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, okay. Well, if he writes a lot of pop music, does he have any ideas as to what, you know, how you make a hit tune? Does he have various algorithms? That's another question to mm. ask him. Yeah. Is, yeah. That what is goes the into ultimate... Making, that's the ultimate question of That's this the podcast ultimate question. Right, exactly. How do you write a good, catchy melody and tune? Right, <laughs> right. A lot of people are beginning to say that repetition is very important. Mm. That, you know, yeah. the more you repeat something, the more likely pe- people are to like it. And yeah. the more they like it, the more they end up, it ends up getting played. And the more it ends up getting played, the more, you know, they like it and so on. It, yeah. yeah. But, so are you saying on the record that... Even uh, Schoenberg 12-tone composition could be stuck in someone's head if they hear it enough. <laughs> it's not repeated, though. Oh, I, yeah. I That's just the meant... problem. The, pro- the thing, if... Oh, yeah. I see what... Yeah, but they have to be... Sm- they have really to be a small, small number of chunks. notes. That's right. If you have 12 notes at a time, that's too many. One could try that. One could try playing 12 notes at a time over and over again and seeing... No, yeah. I, I, I bet it wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. too many notes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Diana, I have one last tradition on the podcast that if you're up for it, I always ask guests if they would be willing to do like a little bit of music that could be the yeah. representative of this episode. You mean play? Like play, yeah. Yeah, I think I probably should pass on that. Okay. I used to be very much into performing, and then I, you know, then I didn't. I'm beginning to again, but I don't think I'm quite ready to do that yet. Okay. It's it's a very good idea, though. Well, Dana, it's been really fun getting to meet you Me too. It's been great fun. Yeah. Yeah, we we talked on the phone quite a bit, and it's really nice to meet you face to face. Exactly, Yeah. 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 Oh, one thing I I was going to ask you about. So you you just got a kind of lifetime achievement. Yeah, I oh, did. I got a medal. A gold medal. Surprise. Yeah, I got a gold medal. Yeah. From the from uh, the Audio Engineering Society. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, was that? Were you at the event that? Well, was... I went. I I went and picked up. You know, I was awarded the medal. It was. Um, I kind of messed up a bit. It was my turn. I go up to the podium and I had to shake hands with several people and then I left. And then one of them said, come back, you've got to pick up your medal. So I had to go back and get it. But, yeah, I do indeed have it. Oh. Yeah, I do feel very honoured. Well, well, really congratulations. Very, thank you very yeah. much. Um, yeah, I was actually at that convention at the beginning of the, oh, did you interview the California people there? tour. Yeah. I interviewed one guy, um, but... Yeah. Yeah, that I was only there for a little bit. So. Yeah, unfortunately, what happened was I went for that, but then after that, I don't know what happened. I must have got a bug or something, but I wasn't feeling well, so I had to leave. I was intending to mm. be there for several days. So. Sure. But they are great. I love the Audio Engineering Society. The, yeah. The people there are very 
open-minded and have a great sense of humor and they're very very devoted to audio yeah yeah well thanks diana for inviting me here to your home and well it's been a pleasure and an honor to talk with you it's been a great pleasure to have you come and thanks very much for coming yeah somebody who brings everything to the table. You know, who brings art, who brings their vision, and particularly who bring their brain to the table. So that uh, they're aware of what they're doing and they're making conscious choices. for people who feel like they're downloading from the cosmos. You know, just like, that's how it came out. Okay, great, now let's make it better. But, uh, you know, just writing from a place of understanding rather than from a place of fear. Where you're just grateful for any idea that comes along. And you don't want to change it because you don't know how. about the ideas, it's about how you support the ideas. I'm here with my friend Bubba. Hey, oh. internet! In Phoenix, and yeah, I made it. Welcome uh, to Arizona, Charlie. Thanks. This We're glad this, to have you. This is like the last state west of the Mississippi that I had to check off on my list. Nice. Got to get to Hawaii and Alaska. How, so, how far have you gotten on the east coast? Or on the east uh, side of the Mississippi? East. I've gotten everywhere except the southeast. Uh, Some Florida, maybe. But, yeah. Well, that's where Harry Potter land is, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bubba Hollenhorst you might remember from an episode not too long ago. We did. We did uh, we, talk. We talked a lot about your musical writing. Yeah. And you're living in Oregon and playing in a folk band. There. Oh, yeah, the country band, the Wheeler yes. County Ramblers. Yes. Wheeler um, County's hottest trio. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited to chat. We're, we're excited to have here. you. We're going to have a good week. Probably, probably a nice way to wind down your... Uh, your travels here with just a little kickback and relax in 75 sure. and sunny degree weather. 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited because the tour has been like you know people who are listening obviously know that it's like a vacation and it's enjoyable, but at the same time you're I've doing been, a, like you're doing a lot of stuff. That's 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 a lot of people to talk to. We were just talking about everybody that he's talked to and what he's been doing, and I can't imagine how many hours of editing you're going to have to do. And oh, I, I have, and I do not envy you at all, sir. Yeah, it's <laughs> I. I mean, thinking about it, it's like well over thirty hours of footage. Whew. So editing is going to be interesting, but I'm excited. So Bubba just gave me the tour of the house. We're sitting in the music room right now. So I'm excited to jam a little bit. Yeah, make, man. Make some music together. Hey, anytime you're lucky enough to have a whole room that you can just turn into a room for the thing you want to do most, which is make music, you got to take advantage of it as much as you can because who knows, someday there might be children or other things that take up the time of all the fun that I'm having currently. So <laughs> yeah. I say we make as much music as we can while you're here, Charlie. Yeah, let's do it. And the other uh, fun thing about your house is that there's a switch on the wall that you, well, yeah. You There's zombie doors, it. Charlie. Uh, all Composer Quest listeners, uh, you're more than welcome. Just give me a shout on the internet. Uh, if the zombie apocalypse comes, you're all welcome at my house. Uh, every single window and door has giant metal shutters that roll up and down, and they keep the zombies out. We will be safe. <laughs> Central Phoenix. Give me a call. <laughs> yes. Well, Bubba, let's... Uh, Hang out, and we'll, we'll get to some more... More to come! More to come. I'm at the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix, and there's a room here that just has a ton of instruments that everyone can play, so I thought it'd be fun to give you a little audio tour of... All these cool instruments, including a theremin. I also have a gamelan here. I'm not sure how you play it, but... open, so I'm going to try and do something here. (laughs) 
Well, it turns out a theremin is really hard to control, especially when it's in a room of chaos. But let's see what else there is to see around this museum. Mary Thea, um, it's nice to meet you. And tell me a little bit about this Musical Instrument Museum. How, how did you come to work here? For... A friend of mine volunteered here, and he said you'd enjoy this. And he was right. Yeah. It's fun. You get to meet people from all over the world, lots of young and old. <laughs> yeah. You see a lot of different instruments. And they have How many concerts. instruments do you think are in here? Well, they have um, 16,000 instruments, <laughs> but only about 6,000 are on display at any one time. Oh, wow. It so was founded by the retired executive from uh, Target. Oh, cool. Bob Ulrich. And we're standing next to one of the most giant <laughs> bases ever. We're standing next to a giant base. Uh, the octobase? Octobase. It's no longer produced because now they use uh, electronic instruments or uh, methods of producing those low sounds. But to play it, they stood on the stool, they pressed the levers, and they used a bow. I'd like to show you the oldest instrument if yeah. you're interested. This is uh, from China. It's a tiny little haigu goblet drum that dates from 4000 B.C., and made of ceramic. So it's the oldest it's object in the in our collection. collection. Cool. So you're just telling me that you are a bit of a traveler yourself, too. I'm a travel junkie. Yeah. I've been to all the continents, and I love to travel. Antarctica, even? Yes. Whoa. When did you go there? Uh, about eight or nine years ago. Cool. I want to go next to the stands. I haven't been to the stands. Where is that? Uh, Uzbekistan. Oh. <laughs> all, all five of them. I, Pakistan wasn't on my list, but the other stands are on my list. Oh. I actually just got an email from someone in Kazakhstan really? that wants to play one of my pieces. So. <laughs> you should go. Yeah. Oh, that uh -huh. would be cool. Wow. Yeah. So, and you were saying you just had your 80th birthday. I did. And, and how did you celebrate? I spent a week in Cancun, and on the day when the other three went to see ruins I had already seen, I went ziplining and rappelling and snorkeling in a cenote, an underground river, and swimming with the dolphins. I had a that's, grand time. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks again for showing <laughs> me around a little bit. And You're very yeah, welcome. I, I recommend this museum to anyone who's... In Phoenix, it's awesome. So it's great. Hope yeah. you come. Bubba, Charlie, we have a very special treat planned for podcast listeners. I am thrilled. Yes. So, a little backstory that Bubba was one of my Kickstarter backers that Hi. got the uh, the reward to challenge me to a song. 
Yes. So what is your challenge for me? It's, a, it's different than just a song. Right. My challenge for you is to play the songwriting game with me. Yeah. And the songwriting game. So it's come up on the podcast a few times. Mm. Uh, well, you can explain it. Okay, so the songwriting game is a game that we created uh, our own version of, because I'm sure other people do a very similar thing, uh, with some friends. And it involves uh, however many people you have together. In this case, it's just Charlie and I, so we're only making uh, song titles for each other. But normally, if you have a group of people, everybody comes up with two or three song titles. Everybody puts them in a hat. Y'all draw a song title. And then you have one hour. You say go. Right when you see the song title, everybody takes an instrument, goes into a different room. Beverages, optional, but encouraged. And uh, you have one hour to write that, a song based on that song title. Then you all come back together and everybody has to perform their song. Yeah. Yeah, it's and awesome. So what we're going to be doing is we're actually cutting it down to half an hour to write a song. 30 minutes, yes. Which is frightening. But um, a little, it's, we're gonna, these, these might not be the most clever songs ever written. No. <laughs> but the reason that we're going to do it in 30 minutes is because we are going to do 30 minutes of unedited songwriting, and I'm going to go in another room, Bubba's going to stay in here, and what we're going to do has maybe probably never been done in podcasting history, because it, it's kind of weird. It's, it is weird, but I'm excited. I think it's a terrific idea. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah, so, so what I'm going to do when I mix this is I'm going to put myself in one ear and Bubba in the other ear, and so you can decide like who you want to listen to at any given time by either like taking your earbud out or panning your car speakers to the left or the right. And yeah, you've I mean some of you will be tempted to skip ahead and that is totally encouraged. If it you it want will to. probably sound like jarble with them going at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking like, should we try to write in the same key to make it sound even Less jarring, but you know it. It doesn't matter. I, I you know what? I think uh, I think that if anyone is going to listen to it with both headphones set to the same, uh, they are already expecting it to not sound good. So <laughs> I think we can just go with whatever key whatever key suits the song because yeah. the song title might really want to be in D minor. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's true. So we got to get some titles drawn. We do. So let's uh, let's grab our song titles. I have a yours here. I'm going to fold them. We can put it in the candy jar, but if that happens, we'll lose it in all the candy. <laughs> it's a big amount of candy. Yeah, nobody came trick-or-treating, so now there's just six Costco-sized bags of candy in my house. But and no one to eat it. But we're me. working on it. We're, yeah, we're going to get there, Charlie. I have faith in us. All okay. right. Here are yours. There. Mix them up a little bit and pick one, but do not reveal the one you pick because first we have to announce the ones that we could have had because yeah. that's part of the fun of the game is making fun names that don't get used. Yes. Ooh, I like the size of this paper and the, the way you <laughs> tore it. It's a very interesting shape. I will choose that one. Okay, I've chosen mine. All right. Okay, well, so we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to go through the ones that we, uh, we could have become songs but didn't. Uh, all right, let's go every other. Okay. I will not be singing... Spare me the details. I will not be singing Spare Me <laughs> the right. Details. Uh, I will not be singing Try Me On for Size. Oh, I, I think I would, have ex- <laughs> I would have enjoyed hearing that uh, one. I will not be singing Grand Canyon. Uh, 
that's just, right, there's just it's, three hours away. Yeah, that's where I'm planning to go, so it was on my mind. You can write a song about it after you visited. Yeah. Talk about how, it's blow, how it blew your mind. All right. I will not be writing Don't Waste Your Rhymes on Me. Mm. That's, oh, that, that would be fun. I liked that Anyone one. listening can feel free to make a song and send it to yeah, us. Yeah, if you, if you want to take one of these song titles and write, write a song, we sure would like to hear it. But you only have 30 minutes. All right, I will not be singing Wild Ways. Wild Ways. All right. Uh, I will not be singing Liquid Sizzle. <laughs> I was really Thank hoping... God, oh, I really wanted you to get Liquid Sizzle. <laughs> I feel like it would have been just a tasty dance jam. Probably. All right, and finally, my last one that I will not be singing, I will not be singing Fly on the Wall. Oh, I will not be singing Fly on the Wall. I was hoping you would write that one. Um... Okay, I will not be singing Tell Me, Tell Me, Don't Tell Me. <laughs> Ooh. That's like a, an entire chorus right there. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, guess, so, I thought there was something you could have done with that, so I'm trying to think of what you would have got. So, okay, we have our song title. So once this happens, uh, let, let's prep our phones to 30 minutes. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll both read our song titles. And uh, what, are, what are we going to be doing here? Are we gonna, we're going to be introducing, and then they're going to hear the song, right? Yeah, okay, so what, what we're thinking is that once we hear the song titles, uh, you guys are going to hear instantly. We'll flash forward in time. You'll hear what the song, our demos sound like. Right. Then you'll have the chance to go listen to us write the song for 30 minutes. Yes. We're and then we'll be back with a special we'll surprise. Be back. Okay, well then uh, let's do this. I've got my clock set for 30 minutes. And, uh, yeah. Bubba, what's your song? All right. This is uh, Bubba Holly performing a demo that I'm about to write. It is titled Mr. America. Mr. America <laughs> by me 30 minutes from now <laughs> alright and my my song that I'm going to be writing I'm afraid to look uh, Be My Candy Gram <laughs> nice so this is Be My Candy Gram <laughs> 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 
by Charlie McCarran. Halloween night, 2016. Lights turned off all down the street. Everybody's gone to sleep except me. Costumes packed back in the box. Candy wrappers stuck to your socks. Maybe you've got a sugar rush like me. So would you, you, you be my candy gram? Would you hold my hand all through the night? Then soon, 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 when our candy's gone, you'd still be the one of my candy gram. Mmm, be my candy gram. That was good, Charlie. That was good. I like that. <laughs> Thanks. It, it took me 30 minutes. Nice. Um, yeah, so we got to set our timers and get writing. So right when it hits 30, I will stop what I'm doing, and then you just walk in and we'll keep yeah. recording on yours. Yep. Okay, cool. All right, here All we right. go. Three, three. Wait, 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 wait. Are we, going, are we going three, two, one and starting on one, or are we going three, two, one, start? Three, two, one, start. So start it on start, not one. It's got to be, yeah. Okay, you, you count it off. Three, two, one. Timer synchronized. Synchronized. All right, let's go. Let's do it. Uh, this is this is gonna be nerve wracking. Yep. Uh, all right. Oh, now I'm on this recording. All I right. Have, Hello, thirty minute recording. I have done. Welcome some to of these, thirty like, minutes of writing a song with me on the podcast, but I've never. This usually is supposed to last an hour, and my song is called Mr. America. I'm close, but and I don't you know, know what to write, Mr. Nice America. About. The right to edit so, like any good songwriting want. session. I'm going to start by pouring a but giant glass of wine. You guys get to hear the unedited version of Charlie writing a song. It's going to be interesting. Bubba was kind enough to give me his guitar. So, sometimes what I do is just strum around on guitar first. But sometimes I just, I don't know, it might be better to try coming up with a melody for this lyric. All right, I'm coming back. All right. Large ice water with straw in Gryffindor cup and a glass of wine filled all the way to the top. got the guitar, I got the piano. It's just how it worked out. Uh, you, you can also draw four instruments. Say you and your friends are together, there's a piano and two guitars, and one of the guitars is crappy. You can build that into the game as well, where you have to figure out who gets to pick first, and they can uh, choose their instrument, or their room that they want to write in. A lot of ways to play the songwriting game. A lot of ways.
on the title but Mr. America makes me feel like it should be the tricky part about this challenge is I can't go back yeah. and listen to what I recorded so Mr. America. I'm really going to have to remember my melodies and hopefully I won't maybe it could them. be a story about just a guy uh, whose name last name is America it sounds like a good like, start uh, so far that's Jeff, uh, five Jeffrey, minutes almost Jeffrey four America. minutes that's pretty quick for Mr. me America. usually I take a little longer so <sighs> try some lyrics here Halloween night, 2016. Ooh, I have an idea. How about it's a power pop song? Uh, power pop song um, about like a like a self like a like a like a guy Lights like one of those guys lights. who's always screaming America in your face and Turn wearing lots of America on. gear. And thinks America's the best. Down the street. And has like, like really likes guns. And, uh, and, and talking about the founding fathers. But in an obnoxious way. And he always wears America. Lights down the street. And so the people who see him at the local bar, they just know him as the obnoxious guy. And they call him Mr. America because of his. Daily Except for mine, habits but it doesn't really rhyme. Let's go for like Fountains of Wayne meets Fastball, just like much, much, much worse. I feel like we're going to try to work one of those into this song. It's a happy song, because this guy, is, he's in his own little world. It's about him.
let's look at this. Halloween nine, sixteen. <sighs> Lights turned off. Well, that's ten minutes gone by. Uh, I'll be honest. I think I figured out the direction I'm going. Uh, there's a real good chance by the time I figure out how this whole song should go, there won't be time for words. I'll just say Mr. America a lot of times. Halloween night, 2016. Lights turn off all down the street. Everybody's Boom. gone to sleep. Except for me. Costumes packed. I'm also a bit out of rhythm because normally I would have the West Wing on in the background. You know, for added inspiration when writing pop songs. Something we can write a verse over. Or a verse and a chorus, I don't really know how long. Jesus, there's only 16 minutes and 20 seconds left. It's gonna be short. We're going verse, chorus, verse, chorus, that is it. Stuck to your socks. What 
strippers stepping through your sacks. Sacks. Came in at step two of your sacks. Then we get introduce you when I say your sacks. So I guess I'm thinking about somebody here. Costumes packed back in the box. Candy wrappers stuck to your socks. My maybe you have. Maybe you got a little wonder. We've been arguing about the stupidest things. So. There we go. Candy wrapper stuck to your socks. Maybe you've got a sugar rush like me. So, there we go. Now it's kind of a story. This person has been staying up because they ate too much candy. Yes. such a good experiment when you're just forced I'm really on the hook here because you're all listening uh let's see costumes packed back in the box candy wrappers stuck to your socks maybe you've got a sugar we've been arguing we've been arguing so about the stupidest things and we've been wondering and I've been wondering I don't know if this song, the chorus, you might normally repeat the same line twice, but I don't know. Maybe I need a second line that's a little bit different. I think Be My Candy Gram could stay going twice, but... Let's see. down so I remember so would you 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 be my candy gram would you hold my bad. hand <laughs> all through the night but we're at 12 minutes I have no time to care. And we, we, we could be 
friends you see. Oh, jeez. Uh, okay. So will you, you, be my candy gram? Would you hold my hand all through the night? And we, 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 oh, that's so bad. Nope, goodness, not sing that. So will you, 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 be my candy gram? Would you hold my hand all through the night? Soon, soon, soon. Oh, time check. Ten minutes. Yikes. Okay. Soon, soon, soon. Soon, soon. When I'm... Candy's gone. So soon, 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 when our candy's gone, maybe we'll <clears throat> When the candy's gone, they can still be friends, maybe. Maybe that's where I'm going with this. Let me try from the beginning again. Make sure I remember this. Halloween night, 2016, lights turn Everybody's gone to sleep except me. Costumes packed back in the box. Candy wrapper stuck to your socks. Maybe you've got a sugar rush like me. So would you, you, you be my candy gram? Would you hold my Still stay strong and stay awake. If that rhymed, it would work. <clears throat> then soon, 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 when our candy's gone. We could still stay strong. I could go... I, I still want to keep it maybe a metaphor for love or uh, okay. friendship or something. But not be too like a verse super cheesy and obvious about that. And you're 
chest it keeps swelling, and your chest it keeps swelling as you just get so pumped. As you just get, you're always cussing and yelling. You, you're always cussing and yelling. You don't listen, you tell, and then your chest it keeps swelling as you just get so pumped. That's okay. Seconds. I can't come up with one last line. Okay. I don't think I'm gonna have time for a verse. Sorry, people. I can't stand a thing you say now because. Forty-four seconds. <clears throat> Getting down there. I just need like a a decent one as a backup plan, just in case. That's okay. Oh my god, we only have four minutes left. We've been arguing about the stupidest things And I've been wondering what's going on inside your skull You're always cussing and yelling You don't listen, you're telling you Your 
chested And your chest it keeps swelling As you just get so pumped up That's okay So you know I can't stand a thing you say now Because please just go away But just keep getting out of Mr. America USA Oh, then I can go right back into the intro. Two minutes long, probably. A little key change just for but fun. Like I said. At the end. Okay. Maybe I just need a Halloween pun at the end. You, 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 be my candy grab. Would you hold my hand? We have two minutes and 55 seconds left. And soon, 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 when our candy's gone. If you, we could be, you could be the one that I. You'd still be the one, my candy gram. Okay, this could work. This could work. If I All sing right. it the right way, maybe. There's only two minutes left. Therefore, I'm just going to learn how I'm going to play through this two times with the same lyrics. Uh... You'd still because be the one. Because that's as far as I'm going to get, so I might as well at I least make sure I've got these melodies down. 30 minutes. It's a short amount of time. And look, I didn't even... Okay. Oh, oh man. Under two minutes. Let's see if I can just play it through. It's probably less than... All right. It's probably one minute long song. Or one... Minute 148. Here we go. So you know, okay. I can stand. 
That is time. All right. All right. So, I I'm coming, Bubba. Charlie should be coming in here any second. Otherwise, he didn't hear his timer go off, and I'm gonna have to go cross timelines and go into your other ear uh, to get him. But I hear movement. Oh boy. Uh, and here he comes. <laughs> is uh, is yours as bad as mine? Oh, I like mine. It's less than one minute long, though, so... Yeah, I, I, I'm pleased with the melody I found. The, the lyrics are poor. Very bad. They all kind of came at once. You'll be able to listen where they came from. Uh, just kind of all at once. I just wrote them down once I had a melody. Uh, all right. But there is a melody. Oh, uh, this, this is this yeah. is exciting, though. I, is... I, so I, I wrote a verse and a chorus, and I'm just going to sing the same verse and chorus twice to make it a song. Okay. Hey, there's some I'll old, do that, too. There's some old songs that did that. <laughs> So who's going first? I'll go first. I'm sitting, right. sitting at the piano here. All right. Uh, <clears throat> even though I just introduced it 30 minutes ago, I'm Bubba Holly playing Mr. America. intelligible but i kind of got the point across maybe oh man i I like that a lot thank you thank you that is my 30 minute mr america (laughs) sweet all right you're up all right i'm up hey did you narrate yours i I narrated a lot of my (laughs) okay good well there were parts of where i just didn't talk for 10 minutes because i was trying to write words but i i was basically mumbling my thoughts as i got i spent the first 10 minutes doing getting absolutely nothing okay good i (laughs) I, uh, I knew you'd be entertaining. I don't know if it was so, entertaining. Well. <laughs> Alright, let's do this. Uh, what's your name and what's the song, please? Okay. Uh, uh, my name is Charlie McCarran, and this song is called Be My Candy Gram. Halloween night, 2016. 
Lights turned off all down the street Everybody's gone to sleep Except me Costumes packed back in the box Candy wrappers stuck to your socks Maybe you've got a sugar rush like me So would you, you, you be my candy gram Would you hold my hand all through the night Then soon, soon, soon when our candy's gone I liked that. That was a very infectious melody. It caught me right away. Oh, thanks. Very nice. All right. Thanks. That was that was great. Thirty minutes. And Thirty minutes. Got, hey, not too bad. We got two quick songs done. But wait, is there more, Charlie? Oh, but wait, yes, of course, there's more. What are we gonna do now? Uh, well, this was your idea, Bubba. Um, so we're gonna take our songs and we're gonna spend one hour on each of them, and like produce them as much as we possibly can in that hour so yes and we're gonna do this together so now yeah. we're gonna and charlie and i have never written a song together before or like produced a song together before so now we're gonna team up and spend an hour on each song and we're gonna do the same thing we're gonna set a clock and we're gonna start mixing in pro tools and we're gonna try to put together the very best recording of both of those songs. And if we have time, we're going to try to finish them out. They both were a little short. Yes. So we might try to add a second verse and get some lyrics jotted out. But we're going to start right now. On We're going to start on my song. And, and well, we'll have some commentary afterwards, maybe. And, yeah. And, yeah, you'll get the abbreviated version. We're not going to record ourselves, like, tweaking. Right, yeah, no. For... Well, we'll give you a few minutes right now of us of us producing. But then, uh, and, and then right after that, we'll yeah. play the songs we'll for them, the right? Song. So, all right, let's... Let's do this. Time right. to produce Mr. America and then Be My Candy Gram. Be Grand. My Candy Gram. All right, let's do this. We'll get the clock out. 60 minutes is on the timer. Ready, set, begin. All right. Cool, cool, cool. All right, plan of action. So we're doing this fast. So let's just say during this song, I'll sit here. Yeah. And then Captain's on your song. Chair. Right, perfect. Okay. Let's quickly get down. I'll get the piano, and I'm just verse. And if at the end there's time, maybe we try to add a little bridge or something. But sure. we'll get verse, chorus down, piano, and then a bass line on here, and then a guitar part, and then I'll turn this over to you, and you just and add you can some. add 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 drums, sure. add drums, and then just start mixing that together while I write a second verse. Okay. And then once you have that mixed, then I'll record the vocals, and then we'll spend the rest of the time mixing and adding whatever we can. All right. Sounds Plan good. Plan of action? Okay, sweet. Um, <laughs> all right, so... Quiet on the set, please.
All right. Now, I'm feeling like power pop, <laughs> so I think I want to, just to uh, probably help me feel it when coming up with a guitar part here, I think I want to add a... What are you adding? Uh, an amp to make it electric. Oh. So you just use acoustic as electric all the time, huh? Yep. The stupidest things And I've been wondering What's going on inside your skull You're always cussing and yelling You don't listen, you're telling And your chest, it keeps swelling Like you're Mr. Wonderful That's okay So you know I can't stand a thing you say now Because Please just go away Please just go away just go away, or just keep getting louder, Mr. America, USA. All right, let's see if it's usable. How much time we got? Five <laughs> minutes. We're calling that good. If we have a minute at the end, we'll add some harmonies. All right. All right, ideas for things that need mixing. Um, cut the drums. <laughs> One minute and 50 seconds? Yeah. Oh, my God. Give me the tambourine. Uh, where is it? Uh, in the down there in the thing. No, no, behind you. Oh. Top left. All right. One take. One take. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think we should be given one take because we had to restart when when it crashed. It's true. Okay. All right, the timer's over, but we need this. We just we just want to put we a tambourine on the damn thing. Nice. All right. I shall save and mix down.
I here I here's if you trust me, here's what I think. Yes. I think that it, this song is worthy of of if a second verse if not a bridge and a final chorus. All right. So here's what I think. I think that you should lay down the guitar and then uh you should let me futz with maybe just putting just a light piano or something over it while you write another verse. Sure. Um and then I can start trying to mix it right away and then you can come back with a verse. Um Sure. Here we go. Ready? Ready. The 60 minutes begins. Wait. Oops. Clock is over here. Clock is over here. Clock is over here. 60 minutes begins now. Okay. I'm ready. All right. What do you want? Uh, uh, guitar. Guitar. Okay. Let's... All right. Here we go. Yeah, I got it. All right. All right, you go write that second verse. All right. What do you want on, on here? Piano, bass, no bass? Piano, sure. Add yeah. whatever you want to okay. try. I think. You got another verse done? Yep. Nice. It's not the greatest in the world, but it'll work. Soon when our candy's gone, you'll still be the one, my candy gram. Oh, soon, 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 you'll be my candy. <laughs> Oops. Wasn't quite the lyric I was going for. All right. All right, Eddie. Yep. Punching right there. And soon, 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 when our candy's gone, you'll still be the one, my candy gram. Alright. This is the first time I've done, like, a vocal take, pretty much one take. Yeah, man. That's good. <laughs> what kind of a time are we looking at here? 22 minutes. Oh, so, alright. Um, I'm going to throw a little production under the vocals here. Uh, you, should, we, should we get vocal harmonies here? Yes. I would love to have you do some. Will you, you, you be my kid? 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. You, you, you be my candy gram. Hold my hand all through the night. Soon, 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 when our candy's gone. Be the one, my candy gram. Should we add that just to the chorus? Sure. How much time we got? Uh, three minutes. Perfect. Give it a listen. Halloween night, 2016. Lights turned off all down the street. Everybody's gone to sleep except me. Costumes packed back in the box. Candy wrapper stuck to your socks. Maybe you've got a sugar rush like me. So would you, you, you be my candy grand? Would you hold my hand all through the night? Then soon, 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 when our candy's gone, you'll still be the one, my candy gram. Ghosts and goblins, pirate witch, black cats hopping picket fences, butterflies and bats, and you. You were always dressed to be a pumpkin in a pumpkin tree, cute and round and orange and soon. Oh, you, you, you be my candy cram. You can hold my hand all through the night. And soon, 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 when our candy's gone, you'll still be. That that was great. That was something. Although, <laughs> that was something. I, you know, I think, I think we did all right, man. We cut our songwriting time in half compared to normally, and normally we feel rushed when we play that game. Yeah. Um, so all things considered, the fact that while we were producing them, we each got a second verse written, so our song could at least be two minutes instead of one minute. But uh, I don't know, yeah. an hour of production time, adding a verse, getting multiple instruments down, and. Making it sound pretty decent. I, th- I think we did all right. Yeah, that was fun I, too. I was. I, had a I don't great know. Time. I was a little more stressed on the recording end because, like, the songwriting was surprisingly not too stressful because I got an idea like quickly. Yeah. But then when it came time to record, my fingers just like cramped up and. 
Well, and then it's, yeah, it's that same, like, you're feeling the pressure of the time. Yeah. But once once we got into the swing of it there, it went all right. I think we got through yeah. it. A couple good late-minute additions. We threw some percussion on both songs, some yeah. tambourine at the end of the one, and uh, some chest and hand claps. Yeah. Well, I learned my lesson trying to do drums for your track. First of all, I don't know Pro Tools. <laughs> you didn't know that but, those, what tools you're using. So. But second of all, like, you were able to just, you know what style and like the rhythms of your song. So you were able to throw down a bass part easy and guitar part. And then I feel like maybe if you had done the drum track, you would have been able to nail it. But that, the, That's always the one that I've, with, with any of the times that I've recorded drums digitally like that, that's never been an intuitive, other than just like, just a straight four catching the, the straight rhythm. Yeah. So that's, for me, I always just start really easy with a boom chick, boom chick, and then try to build from there or, you know, whatever the, the rhythm is. But yeah, that's always the hardest part for me too. So yeah. uh, I doubt I would have gotten anything done in the 10 minutes you were allotted yeah. before, allotted <laughs> before we moved on. So, yep. uh, so, yeah. so basically like for my track, I was not, my hopes are not high that we could add any good percussion but I Surprisingly, just at the that last second turned out well, man. Yeah, at the last second, I was thinking of just a simple clap, slap the knees, and it worked. So while I was out writing my lyrics in the other room, you were adding piano to my track, which turned out really cool. Like, yeah, it was okay. I thought it might have been a little gaudy, but uh, I just, to me, I was just hearing, like, when I heard the chorus, the chorus was the only thing in my head when you played it the first time that I, I was just hearing these just high, you know, bright, lollipop kind of 60s girl group, and I was just arpeggiating and, and tinkering around in the top couple registers on the piano. Would you hold my hand all through the night? I'm really happy with mine. How do you feel about your how yours turned out? Not bad. I I, I, I wish I wish we had a little more time because I would have liked to make it a little more driving, like a little more power pop. I think maybe an electric bass instead of using the key bass, and then with just like a drum set playing, you know. Yeah. I think, but but. I didn't think it would turn out anywhere near that decent. So yeah. I, I'm pleased. I, I'm not going to complain for an hour and a half total of work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that a song called Mr. America turned out at least not terrible. It, oh, yeah. it, it's pretty bad, but it's not <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and it, listeners, remember, I, I'd love to hear any of you take that challenge yeah. and pick any of those song titles we threw out there before. 30 minutes to write, an hour to produce it, yes. post it up online. It, it'd yeah. be awesome to hear if anybody else yeah. can see what you guys can pull off in 90 minutes. Yeah, email me, charlie at composerquest.com. It's an on-your-honor system, but it's way more difficult than you think. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Well, let's uh, relax in the AC tonight and get back to talking about the uh, details of your, your songwriting life tomorrow. That sounds perfect, Charlie. Yeah.
I'm in downtown Phoenix fulfilling a songwriting prompt by my Kickstarter backer, Paul Sampson. Paul gave me the challenge, Bernard Herman orchestrates lunch at the Jefferson Hotel. And I had no idea what that meant, but I did some research and turns out the first scene of Psycho was set in Phoenix. And the Jefferson Hotel is a historic building that I'm standing in front of right now. And Bernard Herrmann, probably many of you know, is the composer who wrote for Psycho and a ton of Hitchcock movies. So I decided that I would try and emulate Bernard Herrmann's style uh, from this opening scene of Psycho. And there's just a pan across the city. And the music there is actually kind of reminds me of Debussy. Um, and Diana Deutsch and I were talking about how sometimes Debussy's scores, you can't really tell what the highest notes are and the lowest notes because they, they go up and down and wave motions. And so that's kind of what I tried to do with my arrangement. So the, my arrangement's pretty much done, and you'll hear it in a second, the finished version. Uh, but I figured maybe I'll also record some of these downtown sounds and maybe mix it into the piece. We'll see. So thanks, Paul. And here's my piece, Lunch at the Jefferson Hotel. This is the first time I've done an interview in a in a lazy boy? recliner. <laughs> Not just any recliner. That's a 1970s lazy boy that you're sitting on. Oh, really? They don't make comfort like this no more. <laughs> I've fallen asleep in it two nights mm. in a row. It's too comfortable. Even the World Series, the Cubs just. Won. I was the of three people watching. I was the only one who watched <laughs> the end of that game. Oh, baseball! Yeah, it's just the best.
So, Bubba, it was about a year ago, probably, when we had our interview. Sounds about right. And we talked a lot about your past musical projects. Yeah. Um, But since then, you've released a solo album. Yep, yep. I released a a kind of just a weird piano pop album last spring. And uh, yeah, continue to work on the musical. Yeah. A few other projects ongoing. Wrote another theme song. Oh, last time we talked about my podcast, The Weekly Awesome. Yeah. And that was the, like a week before that turned out to be the last episode of that podcast that we've released. Oh. <laughs> it was an awful lot of work and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of energy or time. Yeah. But, but I liked, you made we talked some, about theme songs on that. Yeah, you uh, made About that podcast because it was fun. That was one thing I missed doing theme songs. So I did, well, I wrote a new theme song for, uh, for my cousin uh, Louie's podcast. It's a a podcast about amateur baseball in Minnesota. It's called Town Ball Talk. Since 1857, when the citizens of Ninager decided to organize a baseball club, the people of Minnesota have been crazy for the sport. In its heyday in the 1950s, the state boasted 799 town ball teams. Today, Minnesota can claim more than 300 amateur teams, the most of any state in the U.S. Across nearly 160 years of organized play, town ball has spawned countless memorable characters and stories, and we aim to meet those characters and hear their stories. This is Town Ball Talk. You were telling me about your process for doing the like interlude music. Well, okay, so I don't, I, I don't want to sound like an asshole or a beephole, <laughs> um, but a lot of like radio shows and, and podcasts over the last many years have, and I, I don't know where this started, but I, I just like feel like it was public radio, where first you have a, a welcome and then you have a little pre-interview kind of chat and then you have an interview with someone and then you go to the sponsor and then you go to this part two of the interview and then you come back for an analysis of the interview and then you have a goodbye and then in between every one of those there's just like 10 seconds or 15 seconds of really random music and it's never really all that put together it's usually just some weird keyboard sound and just a slow moving melody that doesn't really go anywhere and just kind of is like soothing it's like oh I feel relaxed as we transition to the next part. And that's really it. And to me, that always kind of just seemed like what happens when I sit down or have an instrument in my hand and I'm not paying attention. That's what it sounded like to me. So to do the interludes for this podcast, I decided it would be fun to put some music in there like all those other shows do. And so I said, all right, I'm going to pick two different settings and uh, go every other time and hit record after I've lined up all the rest of the editing and everything else is said, I would just hit record where it needed to start, and I would just, whatever I played ended up being the interlude music. So, uh, so yeah, you want to check out some uh, completely improvised nonsense, uh, feel free to check out the interludes of the Town Ball Talk podcast. <laughs> Before he could drive, Bob Karn was already playing Town Ball. Karn joined Luxembourg's amateur team while a student at St. Cloud Cathedral High School. Your solo album... Huggable. Huggable, yes. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to it. Oh, I was, thanks. I was out at your pool listening. It's hard not to like anything when you're sitting by a pool and it's sunny out. That's true. Well, and I realized the album art is basically you sitting exactly where I was it, yeah, sitting yeah. next we, to the pool. We decided, hey, why not use the beautiful fake waterfall and bushes by the pool to make an album cover? Yeah. I really enjoyed making that album. It was my first... Like, full attempt at an album from home. 
and I was kind of excited to try to learn a little bit more and gain some some competence on the production side the last couple of years and so yeah uh, yeah I realized like a a cool trick that you do with your melodies what's that it's like re- tell me when you repeat a line like you never really repeat it the same way there's some like different inflection or it's like on a different beat like the song that made me think of it is um so much better i see the future bloom and you make me so much better you make me so much better baby you make me so much better of a man i have never thought about it but and right now i you've got me scanning through just everything i've been writing in the last year yeah. or few months even well there there's another one too that i had in my head uh when i was driving us uh never want to see you again i don't ever want to see you again i don't ever want to see you again i don't ever want to see you again feel like if you're going to repeat a phrase that's an important piece of what you're saying um i get bored when you get you know just the same thing over and over again and so i've always enjoyed you know playing around with slight variances to make it interesting i I definitely remember the i don't ever want to see you again when i was writing that song because i really enjoyed just singing that phrase over to to the the first melody that the beginning of that phrase well, it got stuck in my head, so yeah. that's, oh, and that's, the other that's a good thing. sign. That's the other thing with repeating a phrase. I mean, you get it stuck in somebody's head. So this leads perfectly into my question chain question for you from my last interviewee. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. question chain question. So my last interviewee, Diana Deutsch, who is like a founder of music psychology. Oh, good, yes. So I, she, <laughs> she asked... Uh, I have no business being on a podcast <laughs> with someone that that informed incredible. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but she was curious, though, like, from, as a songwriter's perspective, like, what do you think makes an earworm? Like, something that gets stuck in your ear. I think the melody is the most important part. No, I don't. I think I think to really be an earworm, it has to be equal parts memorable phrase or phrasing and equal part ultra infectious melody. Mm. And, and I know yeah, that I, that's like what everyone is trying to do. That seems like a pretty simple answer to that. But I mean, but no, I I mean I haven't thought of it as a the phrase being also equally important. Well, yeah, because I mean if it if there's a phrasing or something that's really powerful or just really memorable, it might be super simple. It doesn't need to be the deepest feeling a human's had, but there are so many amazing songs, you know, that have one word or one phrase that everyone knows from that tune. Yeah. Unless we're just saying, what do you hum? Cause then it's like, remember that thing? What was that from? The, I don't know, the guy dancing in front of the Valley Fair van, the old oh. man in the bald hat, right? <laughs> Isn't that what that song was? Oh, yeah, it's kind of coming back to me. Or what about the hamsters dancing back when we were like in oh, high yeah. school? Right? That's just, a, that's just a melody that's going over and over. But is that really an earworm? That's just an yeah. obnoxious melody that you can't get out of your head. 
fun fact about the Hamster Dance song, though. How does do you that know one what, go? Do you know what movie that's from? Is it the deer deer dot deer deer? That's yep. from Robin Hood. Yes. Yeah, man, that movie's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and here so, yeah, we are, back on topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many episodes do you have left after this? Just one. There's one episode left. Uh, okay, and... so I get to ask a question of your final guest. Okay. One of the final guests. There'll one be a the few. Final, one of the final guests. Excellent. All right. All right, here's my final question for, for one of your final guests. I would like a passionate and detailed defense of who is the best Beatle and why. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So I'm kind of curious, uh, just because I've never asked anyone on the show. Um, you use medical marijuana regularly. I do. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like, as a, from a creative standpoint, not that we're endorsing drug use for necessarily on the show, but uh, I'm just curious, like, what does that do for you as a creator? Um, I'm not sure. I, I would have said probably different when I was younger, but for me, I like, I, if, if I'm not calm, I'm not going to be creative. And if I'm not you know, and I'm anxious a lot and mm. all of those other things that some of us get as we get older and realize that we're slowly, slowly marching towards an inevitable death alone. And then that's just it. It's over. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, I mean, I, I don't really think that it's, uh, it's overly influential on, on what I do, but I definitely am far more relaxed and so being relaxed and feeling a little more calm and with it is, is usually uh, good for me because I, when, I, when I write, I just, I mean, you can hear it in our thing that we did. The first 10 minutes of that 30-minute songwriting game, I did nothing. All I did was fiddle on the piano. And that's because that's just usually how I, it happens when I'm writing nothing, you know, from nothing. It um, just takes longer to get into that space. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not always wound up if I haven't smoked or anything. But yeah, I mean, if I, if I was to be 100% honest, yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's definitely helpful because it, no matter what, I will then be able to calm down and relax and, and experience what I'm doing rather than have my mind say, hey, you just ate 8,000 calories. You're going to have a heart attack soon because that's probably what I would have been thinking about. But, but my card is because I have chronic back pain and shoulder pain mm. from throwing too many fastballs <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean that's that's how i use it yeah and it's like i'm a thousand times more productive in life and everything else mm. but yeah i mean since in the last two years since i've been down here i've written twice as much stuff i finally started a musical i had been writing for four years and not only did i finally start it we're almost done with it released yeah. a few albums and have probably written a hundred songs in the last two years on top of that so well that, that's interesting to hear your perspective on it because like you know i don't drink or yeah. do anything really like that so yeah 20, you know 23 year old me would have probably went a little different direction more of like a i don't know i was never any good at guitars but man for i just get real real high and then 
throw the old guitar on, and just for three straight hours, man, I was soloing away. I felt like I was killing it. <laughs> uh, so I found out this week that you have a similar interest as me in designing board games. Yeah, that was a but, treat to find out that you had a board game and I have a board game in the other room in a box that I made. Yeah, that yeah. we're going to play tonight. Yeah, we're going to play tonight. Borders and Blessings. Watch watch for it on your bookshelves like 2019 probably. <laughs> so, like what about board game design do you think drew you in? Um, I like games. Just all kinds of games. And so the idea of, I think I can make a great board game, and I think that uh, I, I'm, I, love, I love storytelling. It's not, other than music, the other thing I like doing is I'm a, I'm a terrible writer. Uh, I once had a college professor tell me I had the worst grammar and syntax of any college student he ever met. <laughs> uh, so I've never, ever really gotten into that type of writing, but I really like storytelling. I mean, same thing with the musical. I, I, I had this idea for a story, and I used my ability to write songs with part of it. Same thing with a board game. They get to create the story of the world or the story of the game. And the idea of creating that seemed like a, I don't know, like, yeah. a, fun, like a fun challenge. So, yeah. So, um, I don't know. What do you like about it? Like, what, what draws you to it? Uh, well, well, I'm kind of like, um, I realized kind of like with all my creative endeavors, I like solving puzzles. And for board games, you're kind of like, doing that on a meta level because you're creating a puzzle for other people to play and figuring out like the balance things and like what would be cool mechanics like that's the most interesting to me yeah but yeah. i liked what you said when we were talking earlier about how like no matter what creative field you're in it kind of like helps you out in every other possible yeah totally field. It I mean I oh I, I remember the analogy because this this came up recently uh, with the podcast I was talking about earlier Townball Talk we were talking about specialization in sports and how it, even in the twenty years since we were little kids we used to play baseball and basketball and soccer and football like we played everything now it's just like specialized you're a baseball player this kid plays baseball twelve months a year. I think that's crazy because I played a ton of sports when I was young. And the reason I was so good at this one was because all of these weird little things that you pick up, you know what I mean? If, if baseball was the thing I was best at, surely the creativity and the touch and the passing and the hands and all of the extra stuff that came from basketball for sure played a reason for why I was better at that. I think that exact argument completely relates to yeah. creative projects because even if making a board game has nothing to do with music, um, all of the, the ideas of the process, the order, the... The player experience. Right, the, play, the experience, the, all of those things are, are going to relate at least a little bit, and there's just no possible way those different things you've learned can't be applied, because they surely can be. I mean, creativity is... It's constant. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it comes out of nowhere. It comes from experience and it comes from trying different things and from learning different skills. And so, but it comes back to that same thing is that it's hard to try something new. And especially as we get older, I should write a book or I should take up painting. You just got to have confidence and go take an introductory painting class or a whatever class. And surely once I 
get past the whole, this isn't my thing, I don't want people to see it, and I just start doing it, surely all of the other creativity inside of me from everywhere else is going to find its way into this new thing somehow. There's no reason that we shouldn't be able to take lessons from everywhere and, and find a way to make it interesting in our own. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, another sports analogy uh, that I just thought back to. Um, when we were playing soccer in high school, the coach would have us sometimes play with tennis balls, which is really hard, like trying to dribble the ball up the field, like if it's a tiny tennis ball, uh, is ridiculously hard. Um, but then when you go back to playing with the full-size soccer ball, it's like way easy. Yeah, it, it, so, feel, it, it feels humongous yeah, in your head. It does. Yeah. So I don't know what that could translate to in music, but I feel like if songwriters and composers intentionally do things that make it harder on them or like, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's that totally, yeah. that totally. I mean, and that's, um, that's kind of like what taking on a, a composer quest or entering a songwriting challenge or trying to write a musical when you have no godly idea what you're doing. Those are the things that are going to make us better at everything. There's, yeah. I, I am positive that trying to write this musical has made me a better pop songwriter. I'm positive of it. Yeah. Because Cause then st- when you get back to the pop side, it's just more comfortable. It's way more comfortable. And the things that I had to force myself to figure out are going to come back and apply. And now I just I have another skill to take back to this thing that I was already better at before. Yeah. Well, I'm... I, for one, am excited to hear your final space musical. Yeah, man. I, I'm really excited because if if somehow it's even mediocre enough that we can like get a, a friends and family community production of it going, I would be super happy just because, I mean, I, I don't know. I never, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, hey, man, are you ever going to write a musical out of, out of 10, 10 years ago? No, I'd have said yes because I started my first musical. But 12 years ago, I'd have laughed at you because that would, was so far from what, you know. Yeah. Would there be a song from your musical that you could perform at the piano here? Or Ooh, Yeah. Hold on. Let me I know think. most of them are like super high range. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um What the one that always I, I like the most is uh This Must Be Love or Dun 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 Oh written in the stars. That's the that's the title song. Oh yeah. Yeah, I could play that. Sure, you want me to play that? Yeah, yeah. I I love that song. Uh, All right, so this is... uh, Disclaimer. Been a while. Um, This is the title track to the musical. It's called Written in the Stars. And it it is a duet. Um, I will be doing both parts, and all of the baller harmonies at the end will not exist. Do not judge the final outcome of the musical based solely on this performance. And I can see 
talk a little bit. They're mad at each other, but they know that they love each other right now. Constellations. And they get mad at each other, but then they like, but then, they, but it's not really mad. They're like, they're about to get it on. And then their story comes to an end, and they realize realize that they were meant to be together. And so, in big harmony, they sing. doing a guy and a girl part and singing I was going back and forth between the duet part at the end well thanks Bubba yeah that was poor but fun <laughs> so while I have you here at the piano yeah um, I really liked your composer quest theme that you came up with oh okay could, could you whip that out oh Do man you remember it? Um, um, so hold your butts I'm coming said hold your butts because I think that's a funny phrase <laughs> definitely hold on to your butts 
Thanks so much, Bubba. Yeah, for... man. Thanks for having me. This was a whole lot of fun. Yeah. I hope it makes for at least passable podcasting. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, and I really appreciate you supporting me on Kickstarter and Yeah, whatever. absolutely, man. This, I like, when I saw what you were doing, I was, like, I was just so happy for everyone, basically, <laughs> because you put all this out there, you spend a lot of years working on it, the, the creative aspect of it is, has been so cool, but, I mean... The fact that you have all these supporters and these people that you could travel around the whole country meeting up with people who listen to the podcast, people who want to make music and talk about composing and writing, and, and even stuff that wasn't. I mean, you went to your board game convention. Yeah. Just another creative pursuit. So, yeah, I, 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 you know, when I saw what you were doing, I was like, well, God, yeah, of course I want to contribute, and I'm so excited that you were able to make that happen, and I can't wait to, to listen to the, to the pods, and I've been following along online and stuff, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean... What's not to love about it, man? So I'm, yeah. re- I'm really glad that you were able to make it happen. All right. And super happy that you stopped in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. It was great. So thanks. Thanks again, Bubba. Yeah, man. Have a great final episode. Ooh, thanks. Hey Charlie, how's it going? Hey Swingy, it's going great. Nice. Good where where I am right now. Yeah, where in the world are you right now, Charlie? I don't know. Well, it's the natural wonder of the world. Any guesses? The natural wonder of the world. Shoot. Uh, which state are you in? Give me a give me a little bit of a hint. I'm in Arizona. Oh, Arizona? Are you at the Grand Canyon? I am. Nice. <laughs> uh, I just thought I'd call you from the Grand Canyon. Yeah, are you are looking over the Canyon Rim right now and talking to me? I am. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. <laughs> uh, it's so cool here. Have you been here? Not in my adult life. Uh, I'm sure I've been at some point when I was a kid. Uh, I don't really have a a memory of it. It's funny. I've been walking around here for like, you know, an hour, and the the scenery hasn't changed much, just because it's so epically large. Yeah. 
That's really cool. That's awesome, man. Anyways, I, I didn't have anything planned for this talk. Just uh, just uh, wrapping up the traveling part of the tour until the final episode. Yeah, maybe uh, you're staring off into the canyon. Maybe you're experiencing a little bit of reflection over the past several weeks. Any, any thoughts come to mind? What is on your mind after a trip like this? Um, well, this is reminding me of uh, another passion I wanted to pursue. And I've never done it before, but painting. Ooh, tell me more. I've never really painted before. Uh, I used to love drawing as a kid. I was going to be a cartoonist. That was like my number one thing. Um, but yeah, painting. I I just love the like huge landscape paintings of like the early 20th century. And yeah, this is reminding me now, looking out over the canyon, that I got to just buy some paints and try it. Yeah. I, I think you did this as a Halloween costume. A little bit of a Bob Ross? <laughs> yes. I did. did that that was... Bob Ross looked for a while there with your big throw. Yeah. Podcast listeners might not know this, but I used to have a giant afro, and it made for the perfect Bob Ross costume, because all I had to do was make one of those pallets out of cardboard, and then tuck a shirt into my jeans and that's the Bob Ross style. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh my gosh. That's... There I was enjoying a a Bob Ross Twitch stream. Someone put the uh full collection of Bob Ross videos up on Twitch and it was kinda hilarious because as this web stream was going of Bob Ross, you'd see the comment section and Every time Bob Ross would do some, like, crazy thing, like, well, it looks like the painting's finished, but now I'm going to do a tree right in the middle. And he'd do this, like, brown stain right in the middle. And the comment section was just like, no, you ruined it. And then, of course, he makes something beautiful out of it. Oh, that's awesome. Man, I haven't really seen any Bob Ross, but, like, he had a good message from the little bit I've seen. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. So if we're going to make this metaphor work for composers, even if your piece is finished, you could always just slap a tree in the middle of it. <laughs> a try smiling. something crazy. <laughs> yeah, why not, right? Because uh, yeah. to him, like, he, he made so many paintings, right? So many episodes. It, it was He had joy on his face just painting a scenic shot, right? And he had done it enough that, like, I'm going to throw another tree in there. Why not? You know, like, he had that freedom because he knew he could do it, right? He had done it so many times. Yeah, yeah it's like once you've painted everything, it's like, why not experiment even more? Yeah, right? Once you've painted everything. <laughs> At least it. once you've painted every type of nature scene possible. Yeah. Good to go, Bob Ross. Well, Stringy, I just want to say it's been a pleasure talking to you on the phone over the course of this podcast season. Yeah, man. And uh, hopefully listeners have put up 
with our poor audio quality and moderate quality of conversation. <laughs> moderate, mo- moderate to high, I would say. <laughs> uh, I hope that translates to uh, a solid review score. Uh, <laughs> five stars. Five stars only. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, but, thanks for having me, Charlie, and thanks to the listeners as well. Yeah, we'll we'll have you in full quality of. Uh, oh, it's really windy. Whoa! All right. <laughs> Don't don't call that, Charlie. This is not the way to do it. This is not. Like, <laughs> this is, this is the way I go. Well, I I did post the Instagram picture that had a foreboding message. I guess that this is the final stop on my tour, <laughs> and then I thought about it later. Um, but anyways, what I was gonna say is, so next week when people hear the Minnesota episode, we'll get to hear your voice. In full quality. What? Like never before. HD. Jeffrey Schwinghammer voice. Nice. (laughs) All right. Until then, that does Uh, it for this episode of Composer Quest. And uh, I also just want to thank Bubba Hollenhorst for hosting me and for being my Kickstarter backer. And Paul Sampson was my other Kickstarter backer. And, um... Jeff, I also saw some elk, like, five feet away from me on the trail. Ooh. And I've never what? seen elk that close before. Wait, where where did you see elk? Down there in Arizona? No, at the Grand Canyon. They're, like, a few feet away from the edge. Wow. There was a water spigot, and so they were getting some something to drink. So I think what I want to do for you and the listeners is now play the the sound clip of these elk slurping up some water so you can hear what that sounds like <laughs> that's awesome so, it, so enjoy we'll see you next week yep, here they come Jack. where's she coming what's that there we gave you a drink you're welcome get that drink all right, you had your five minutes to go. And I mean, Queen's the spigot for you. Full service. <laughs> Here you go. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was her speaking it behind you.